It's only been two years and I'm still doing that. Um, all right. We will now call the full commission, uh, full commission meeting of the Juvenile Probation Commission to order. Today is Wednesday, December 8th, 2021. The time is 5.35 p.m. Uh, Madam Secretary, uh, can you please call the roll? Okay. President Joseph Ariano. Present. Vice President Catherine Chu is excused. Commissioner Margaret Brodkin. Present. Commissioner Toya Moses. Present. Commissioner Andrea Shorter. Present. And Commissioner James Spingola is trying to get on. He should be on shortly. You have a quorum. Thank you. Uh, we'll take item two now, uh, which is a resolution making findings to allow for teleconference meetings under California Government Code Section 54953E. Um, this is a uh, item that we addressed last month as well. Uh, just a simple housekeeping that we need to take care of. So at this time, I'll just read through. Um, the state has extended its rules allowing bodies to remotely to, bodies to meet remotely, provided that they make certain findings that it's still necessary to meet remotely due to the ongoing emergency. Specifically, the body must find that one is considered or reconsidered the circumstances of the state of emergency, and two a the state of emergency continues to directly impact the ability of policy body members to meet safely in person. And to be state or local officials continue to impose or recommend measures to promote social distancing. The city uh, attorney has prepared a resolution uh, that is attached to tonight's uh, supporting documents. Uh, so before we go ahead and vote to approve this, is there any public comment on this motion? Uh, excuse me, public comment um, on this item? And why don't we go ahead then and vote to approve so we can meet remotely and continue this meeting. Okay, President Ariano. Aye. Commissioner Brodkin. Aye. Commissioner Moses. Aye. And Commissioner Shorter. Yes. Commissioner Spingola is here. You can you can vote me in. Aye. Commissioner Spingola, thank you. Sorry. Motion okay. passes. Thank you and welcome, Commissioner Spingola. Um, yeah. Now we'll take item three. Uh, this is general public comment. Uh, because we are still meeting remotely, I'll ask our secretary, Ms. Silva Ray, if we have received any voicemails or emailed remarks uh, for public comment at this time. Not at this time. Thank you. And uh, we'll now open up general public comment for up to three minutes on any matter that is uh, not on the agenda tonight. This time, do we have any uh, hands raised? And again, I guess I'll, I, I believe it's star three to raise hands. Um, please correct me if that's not accurate, but star three to raise hands for general public comment at this time. There is a public comment. And there is one hand raised. Um, Pauline, I do not have host privileges yet, so if you can grant those to me, I can unmute the caller.
you should have those privileges now, James. Yep, I see them. Looks like we have a uh, Molly Brown, you should be unmuted. Thank you. Um, my name is Molly Brown. I'm the budget data analyst for the Juvenile Justice Providers Association. And I'd like to bring to the attention of the commission that this January 1st, 43 young adults on the JPD caseload will be emancipating from the foster care system. They are not on probation, but rather are now receiving extended care benefits and support under the auspices of JPD. And while there has been tremendous effort by the AB12 social workers, their acting supervisor, Kwanzaa Morton, the chief and chief probation officer, there's still much we do not know about how prepared these 43 young adults are for emancipation. I do not see how it is possible for the JPD commission to fulfill their oversight role without paying attention to this group of young adults who now represent 40% of the entire JPD caseload. Nowhere in the 42 page data summary that you will be reviewing and as you do each month, does it talk about their status? I entreat you to request that information regarding these young adults who are served by the AB12 unit be presented separately so that the requisite attention to their well being and readiness for independence can be granted the attention they deserve. Thank you. Thank you. Is there other public comment at this time? There is no additional public comment at this time. Thank you. And just before we go ahead and close general public comment, I'll make note for members of the public to raise their hands by pressing star three. If they'd like to speak on general public comments before we go ahead and close this item. At this time, are there any hands raised? There are no hands raised at this time. Thank you. So we'll close general public comment. Thank you to members of the public and move to item number four, review and approval of the full commission meeting minutes of our last meeting, October 13th, 2021. I'll just let commissioners go ahead and read through those quickly and see if we have a motion to approve. I move we approve. Do I have a second? I will second. Thank you, Commissioner. Uh, is there any public comment on this item? Or we take our vote. There is no public comment on this at this time. Thank you. Uh, Madam Secretary, can you please call a roll call vote? For this motion to approve our meeting minutes of October. Okay, President Ariano. Aye. Commissioner Brodkin. Aye. Commissioner Moses. He must be having internet issues. Um, we'll come back to him. Commissioner Shorter. Aye. Commissioner Spingola. Aye. And Commissioner Moses. He is present, but he must be having connection problems. Um, Aye. There we go. Motion passes. Thank you. 
And actually this, um, maybe is a good time to ask uh, our city attorney, um, Ms. Clark, at, if we do have technical difficulties like this, and we only have three commissioners voting since we're a little short tonight, is that enough to pass a resolution or do we need four? No, you need four. Okay. I mean, if, if they can't, if you can't hear them, but they give you a thumbs up that you can see, I think that's probably fine. As long as you, you know, then state out loud that you see them giving you the thumbs up. Um, but yeah, it, you need four to take any action. Okay. That's, that's what I thought. So I just wanted to double check that. Thank you. So now we will go ahead and move to item number five. Uh, do we have Mr. Burns on the line? Yes, he is present. It, it's Mr. Bell. Um, uh, Joe. That's, what I thought. That's what I thought. Yeah, I was looking at the agenda and it didn't seem right. Um, um, so, yeah, so let me just go ahead and we'll take now item number five. This is the closed juvenile hall work group. Uh, final report update by Mr. James Bell. He may not know to unmute himself. I know he's driving. Let me send him an email. James Bell, you are now unmuted. If you can hear us. Silver, have we been able to make contact with Mr. Bell?
Should we perhaps take uh, the next item? We can't get Mr. Bell on the line. The Silver Ave, we've been able to get Mr. Bell. Are you guys able to hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Okay. Yes, we can hear you. Just checking. I'm I'm looking on there. I, I see Mr. Bill and Mike and fell off the participants. Um so it looks like he went down. Hello. Oh, there you go. Is that Mr. Bell? Go ahead. Mr. Bell, can you hear us? Don't look like he is in motion and traveling. It's it sounds as though there's just not going to be a connection. Yeah. There goes Mike again. Mr. Bell, can you hear us now? Yeah, he's in and out. Yeah, why don't we, um, Miss Silveray, if you can perhaps uh, go offline and call or text Mr. Bell and let him know that we'll, um, if he has time uh, tonight to maybe pull over uh, at a certain point and just give us a brief, I know it was just a brief 10 minute update, um, we would greatly appreciate it. Um, but if not, then um, we'll just have to hear his update at the next meeting. That'd be great. Just for, I mean, it's probably also safer for him to not be uh, giving an update while in transit like that as well. Miss Olray, did you hear me? Is anyone hearing me? <laughs> President Ariano, I hear you. And I just want to uh, say that uh, Maria is ready to do the next agenda item if you do want to move things around. So we'll do whatever works for the commission. Great. So why don't we just go ahead? We'll uh, we'll take item five either later or we'll have to reschedule just um, for the sake of time since we do have a full agenda. And why don't we go ahead and take item six? Um, this is uh, prior year youthful offender block grant revenue uses. Um, with a brief uh, 
summary by uh, Maria McKee of the department, and uh, this is a discussion and possible action item. Hello, good evening. I do have a little presentation to share, um, but if um, Ms. Silver Ray is not able to give me that power, it's fine. I can do the presentation without visuals. Um, so I'm gonna tell uh, the commission this evening about prior year youthful offender block grant revenue. Um, so the youthful offender block grant, also known as YOBG, is a state apportionment that the that juvenile probation departments across the state receive on an annual basis. Um, that's based on tax revenue and vehicle fees and things like that. Um, and it can be used to serve youth up to age 21 as long as they are under the jurisdiction of the juvenile court. Um, and it can be used in a variety of ways and for a variety of purposes, so long as it is ultimately to um, the benefit of that population. Um, due to the pandemic, the YOBG was projected to face a significant cut in fiscal year 2020-21. However, that uh, there was, we thought there was going to be a recession, and there wasn't. As you may remember, the state actually had a significant windfall, um, but we were planning our budget during recession uh, thinking. Um, so when there was an unexpected windfall, that meant that we resulted in a almost $1.2 million surplus beyond what we had budgeted for. Um, so we're coming to the commission this evening to make some proposals about how we might be able to use that funding. If we do an accept and expend um, in like the first quarter of 2022 um, with your direction, then we could allocate those funds quickly this fiscal year. However, we would need to act quickly because um, if we don't do an accept and expend with the Board of Supervisors now, then the funding would just be rolled into our next year's fiscal budget. Um, and that would mean that the funding would not be available to us until October 2022. So it's not a use it or lose it scenario. It's just a matter of when we can use it. And um, I'm going to walk you through some reasons why there might be some urgency to this that we might want to do something sooner rather than later. So um, again, it's um, it's exactly 1.198713 million dollars. So it's almost 1.2 million dollars. Oh, apparently I can share my screen now. You bear with me. I will do that. Can everyone see my screen? We can see it. Can. Okay, great. So now you can see the dollar amount on the screen. <laughs> so that's how much money we're talking about. Um, and so um, some possible proposals, which are based on priorities that have been emphasized in many arenas, including during last year's budget process, are up on the screen. Among these, the most urgent is the boys' shelter. Catholic Charities has communicated that they only have funding to keep the boys' shelter open until the end of January 2022, so less than two months. Um, and that is already with an infusion of over $400,000 by the city over the past several months. Um, if the boys' shelter were to close or the boys' home were to close, there would then only be one group home, SGRTP 
STRTP in San Francisco, that's Edgewood, and they don't generally work with our population, and they certainly don't work with um, our population in the same way that the boys' shelter does. Um, so one proposal would be to use up to $625,000, roughly thereabouts, um, of this surplus to ensure that their doors could remain open until through the end of the fiscal year, so through June 2022. Um, and that would allow time for the city to essentially build a bridge to the future and figure out what we want to do next um, and how we could establish, design, or modify um, an STRTP to make sure that it's meeting our needs and values and that it is funded sustainably, whether that's a Catholic Charities program and or multiple programs, sorry about that, um, could would be determined. Um, so this, what we're proposing to you is just sort of like cover ourselves, build that bridge so that we can at least get through the end of this fiscal year and still have the boys shelter where we do currently have boys placed, I believe. Um, some other ideas, again, that have come up through many arenas and through um, last year's budget process would be, for example, to expand the hours of CARC's operation. Um, and another idea would be to invest in kinship resource families to provide additional monetary support and or resources um, to basically to kind of level them up with some with resources that other uh, non-kinship resource families often receive because they are supported by foster family agencies. Um, so those are just some ideas. The, that these are not the only ideas. Um, however, as I said, the first one is urgent. Um, Catholic Charities needs at least six weeks advance notice of whether or not they will like they have. Uh, confirmation that they will have funding. Um, otherwise, the shelter would close. And again, if we were to want to, if the commission did decide to go in that direction, we would want to be initiating the process now with the mayor and the board of supervisors in order to be able to use this state funding um, sooner rather than later. So I will leave it at that. I'm happy to answer any questions, and I'm sure that Chief Miller is also happy to. I, and I thank you, Maria. That was totally spot on. And, and the only thing that I would add um, before uh, we take questions or have conversation is that, you know, I want to emphasize that we are, we're bringing this to you because we want the commission's input. Had we known we had this money during last budget cycle, we would be having this discussion here with you then, right? Um, and so, because we got this kind of windfall, we thought it most appropriate to bring it back to you for the conversation. Uh, and we're really excited about this windfall and really excited at the, the ability to invest in one or more of the things that so often come up as critical or recommended in these conversations. Thank you, Chief, and thank you, Maria. Um, so we're, uh, roughly, we're talking about $1.2 million, that, right? Um, and then this, uh, so tonight, essentially, these are potential uh, ways we can spend the funds and you are asking us as a commission for input and then do we have to actually formally vote to uh, provide these uh, to provide that input and then you would take that to the board to do the acceptance but how does how what's the mechanics of the process so I you know I, I what I would say is that because you vote on our budget and this normally would have been budgeted funds we would be seeking a vote I will note um, and I if Maria already said this in a different way, excuse me for being repetitive, but 
you know, the, the urgent issue is this discussion around the boys shelter. So I think what, what my ask of you tonight is, is to make a decision regardless on whether you're willing to um, have us support that going forward. If, if the commission wanted more time to think about other uses for the remaining pot of the funds or to debate more amongst yourselves in the next couple of months, like, do you want to really put money behind CARC expansion or behind more resource families or other things? You could table the discussion on that part of the funding and really roll it into the next budget cycle. So I want to acknowledge that. I want to give you the space to make those different decisions, but what we can't wait on is the decision about whether we could infuse some of this money into the boys home to keep it open. And the boys shelter was roughly 600,000 of the 1.2 roughly half 625. I think it's an average of 125 a month. To keep it operational, I would note that um, if they have a number of boys placed there, then the cost actually goes down. So we would be allocating. Kind of a, that total amount toward keeping it open right now may wind up costing the city less if, in fact, they have young people there. But they, for them to remain operational, they really need the assurance that the city can cover their monthly costs. At this point, how many, how many, how many, how many, how many young people do they have? How many young people do they have in there now? I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Oh, let me see. Can you hear me now? Oh, I, I, sort of. Okay. Commissioner Swingola asked how many young people are there uh, right now. So I, I'm actually realizing as you're asking, Commissioner, that if we totally should have that answer for you, we don't. But I'll tell you, um, and we can find that out right now, that it's basically been between one and three young people at any given time over the last three months. My, my only concern is, and I know if it goes before the board of soups, right? My only concern is the same situation, right? That you only have three participants in there. And, you know, it's, and how many staff do you have in this, at the same time? What is it paying for, you know? So if it goes before the board of soups, it's going to be your saying as juvenile, right? You only have three participants in there and $100,000 worth of staff up in there, you know, on it, on it. Right, and and I and we and that's been the big topic, right, Commissioner? Like, how what what usage do you need for a program like that to justify ongoing city investment? I think I have um, three things I would respond to. One is that it really is intended to be a place where young people can go instead of being detained when they can't go home, right? So it's to me, obviously, we want the beds full. But I also don't want to create a situation where because we're underusing it, we lose it. And then we have young people who do get stuck in the hall who didn't need to be in a secure place. Right? So we want to always make sure we have it available for young people in that situation. So they're not unnecessarily detained. So there is value in always knowing that we have some empty beds. Right? So that's 1 thing I would say. The second thing is that, you know, 1 conversation we've had with Catholic charities is like, what is the actual number of beds? We need period. We don't, it's very unlikely. We need 8 beds going forward. That's been the model, you know, but what is that number? And then what is the staffing and costs for that? Slightly a slightly lower number. So that's conversation we've been having. Um, and then the 3rd piece is that they have some ability to also have young people placed there from other counties. 
And when that happens, we also then pay less as a city. But I think to me, what I would say, the, the message I would give the Board of Supervisors at this point is that we're in the process of a lot of juvenile justice system transformation here. We wanna make sure we have all the possible things on the table for a young person. Um, I think it's worth all of us together thinking about what we want of placement like that to look like and addressing whether we wanna make changes. But for now, to lose it at this moment, I think would set us back as a, as a kind of multi-layered response for young people and what they need. So I would want to keep it for now, while we do all the work that the closed juvenile hall worker recommendations and the mayor's recommendations and your vision as a commission, I don't want to lose it while we do that that work. That makes sense. Um, Commissioner Brockin, I see your hand raised. Yeah, I had the good fortune to talk to Maria about this ahead of time so I could give it some thought and actually do some research about this. So. I've actually, this is more complicated than, than it appears. Uh, so I had the opportunity to have like an hour discussion with the person most in charge of the boys home. And I left feeling like, oh my God, I, I don't see how we're gonna bail our way out of this. They got three kids, they need five to break even. I couldn't get a clear plan for how that was going to happen, except maybe going to other counties and they swore they were going to really work at that. But there's a problem, which is this is an STRTP, which means they are not in a position to take young people on an emergency shelter uh, situation, which the chief described, maybe that could be worked out. So I'm supporting, you know, we cannot, <laughs> if we can figure out something not to lose this, and this is a lot of money to pay for something we have not been able to solve for a long time. I think we ought to do it, but we ought to, I would urge the department to have a point person on this and to be on top of this. Uh, and I know already you are negotiating and DCYF is negotiating, but everything we can possibly do to stay on top of this, to keep the commission uh, informed, to continue to get you know realistic and better ideas about whether this is even possible. So yes, I support that, but with a lot of trepidation and hope that something that hasn't happened yet can actually happen. Second, about um, the two other uh, programs, CARC and the Resource Families. Uh, everybody knows I adore these programs. I want us to use CARC for every kid that comes in, and I want the resource families to really expand and our use of them to expand. Now, the truth is I talk to the directors of both of these programs, and I am not convinced that more money at this point in time is what we need to solve the challenges that exist about getting the referrals to CARC that we need and getting the families that we need. So I would say, given that it's not an emergency, that we give ourselves some time. And given that we now have this report, which we had hoped to hear more about from James, but didn't, it's got a long list of things which I have made for the uh, uh, commission that I think we ought to give ourselves some flexibility with the rest of the money, um, given that 
uh, I, I don't hear any urgency <laughs> about money to those particular places that I adore. If I may, I just wanted to make one quick correction. The last item is actually not the Alternative Family Services Program. Um, the Alternative Family Services Program is is entirely non-kinship resource families and it's very well resourced and those families are very well resourced. So this concept is sort of something that has often come up in the commission, which is sort of the grandmothers and aunts and cousins that often step in as resource families, as kinship families, they do get reimbursement from the state in serving as foster care parents, but the, um, the level of resources they get is nowhere near comparable to um, the Alternative Family Services Program, and they're, they're the, the homes of the exact same kids. So it would be an idea to just do more to kind of make those kinship resource families whole. I just wanted to make that correction. I have to say, I love that idea, and I was mistaken in my understanding. Um, and I also know we have these kids about to become homeless who are our AB12 kids. We have this big plan. So I would still say, while I love that idea, that it needs to be more fleshed out. Um, and we and we should very seriously consider it because I think it's a grand idea. So I will stick with my original proposal. Great. Um, Commissioner Shorter, do you have any thoughts on this item? Uh, yes, my my thought I I um is that it sounds like uh, one way to go is that we fund the implementation of the report. Uh, certainly, you know, keep the the boys program or the boys shelter going. I'm I'm just still trying to formulate thought, listening to Commissioner Brockins, but that's my first um, inclination. Fund the the report. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, I mean, what the the idea proposed by. Um, uh, Commissioner Brodkin and also Durham, I think Chief Miller, you might have said it as well, I, of just working to uh, keep the boys' shelter open, uh, but at the same time maintaining flexibility on the other funds and having further debate about that seems like maybe the most prudent way of uh, thinking about these dollars moving forward. We also have finance committee meetings uh, happening, I think, next month. Um, I don't know if that would be the right venue to have these discussions as well. But um, it does seem like there uh, could be some further um, digging into, uh, you know, some of these issues. Um, uh, I would love to hear more, perhaps, about um, the CARC money and how that would be used. Um, and I do like the money for the for the um, resource families. I think that makes total sense. Um, but um, I think that perhaps just getting some more detail would help fill in the blanks for us um, when I think I support that. So just for, again, for the sake of time, if there's no further comments or debate um, on this, I would say I propose a motion to uh, to um, approve moving forward to use the funds for, uh, or recommending that the department use the funds for uh, the Catholic Charities Boys Shelter uh, to help keep it open through, I believe, June. 
uh, and then uh, maintaining some flexibility on the rest of the funds and having further debate at the finance committee about those. So if that's a motion, I don't know, if, uh, that's a motion to go ahead and recommend that use of the funds, but um, is there any further? I, I'm sorry, uh, Joe, just to be clear, you said through the end of June, in other words, the end of the fiscal. I think uh, Chief uh, Maria, is that uh, accurate? I think you said it would help keep it open through June of 22. That's correct. And would give us the time to do the work that Commissioner Brodkin is talking about as well. Right. I'm just, I just wanted to just clarify. It's the end of the fiscal year. Okay, great. Thanks. So, do I, uh, so motion to recommend the department utilize the funds for the Catholic voice shelter. Um, I believe it's upwards of $625,000 and then uh, maintaining further debate for the remainder of the funds at the finance committee uh, in January. Is there a second for that? Second. Thank you, Commissioner. Uh, is there any public comment uh, on this motion? Do we have any public comment on this motion at this time? There's no public comment. I'll just give it one more second uh, for members of the public to press star three to raise their hands if they do have public comment before we go ahead and vote. We have one hand raised, Dan McAlare. James Justice could unmute him. Yes, thank you, everyone. This is I'm Dan McAleer with the Center on Juvenile and Criminal Justice, and um, I just want to say I, I, I certainly I support the recommendations of the of the department as expressed by Maria and Katie, and and comments of Margaret and Andrea. Shorter. Um, the one thing I would add to it, and I, I I think we need to consider is the use of flex funds or the establishment of flex funds, and particularly in the case where kids who are in situations that are potentially dangerous, where they've been returned to neighborhoods, where, you know, there's, you know, there's gang conflicts, they may be targeted themselves. We've lost a couple of kids in the last year uh, to, to gun violence. And in at least one of them, we had recommended that they be relocated uh, to, you know, to a jurisdiction outside San Francisco. And the, you know, when we put the request in, we were informed that the money was not available. I want to just put forth that I'd like to, I, I would like to see the city ex establish a, a, a funding source, a flexible funding source that would allow uh for in this case the relocation of certain kids particularly in situations when they cannot they they for their own safety they cannot go back to their own neighborhoods um that's just my suggestion otherwise i think the recommendations of the department are 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 sound thank you thank you, thank you mr McAlair. and i would love to 
hear more about that as well at the finance committee meeting in January. And I urge you to bring that to us um, because I um, that does seem like something we would love to address as well. Is there any other public comment at this time before we take a vote on the motion that we have on the table? There's no further public comment. Thank you. Uh, Madam Secretary, can you please call a roll on this? President, motion? absolutely. President Ariano. Aye. Commissioner Brodkin. Aye. Commissioner Moses. Aye. Commissioner Shorter. Aye. Commissioner Spangola. Aye. Motion passes. Thank you. And thank you uh, to my fellow commissioners for your uh, thoughtful comments and input on this. Um, and also to the department, um, you know, I look forward to working with you, Maria and uh, Chief Miller on uh, figuring out how we utilize these dollars. I think this is excellent news. Um, and, uh, you know, I look forward to those conversations. At this time, uh, I just want to check in. Have we been able to, Ms. Silveray, connect with Mr. Bell uh, on item number five, or are we going to go ahead and just table that perhaps to the January meeting? I sent him an email. He has not responded. He's driving, actually, so he probably hasn't seen it. And I, I see that he's still on, but he's muted. So I guess we okay. can to the following meeting he was just going to introduce the report right. but i'm not sure perhaps can hear. i mean and, and i know that what was that can you unmute him so he's unmuted now james estes just unmuted him but he might be yep. out of range. I'm not really sure. Unless Mr. Bell, if you could hear us. Sounds like we're still having those technical difficulties. Hello. Oh, Mr. Bell, can you hear us? And if so, uh, I know you're on the road, but we would love to get your uh, very brief uh, summary about the Closed Juvenile Hall Work Group final report. Hey, if I may make a suggestion, um, if Mr. Bell is not going to pull over, then I think we just stop trying because that in and out is just not going to work. I mean, we might get like three seconds of a conversation, then it's gone again. So I think let's, let's see if we can hear him. That's up to him whether he's driving or not. Since we've had technical difficulties, let's. It sounds as though he's plugged in now. Mr. Bell, can you hear us? This, uh, Joe or President Ariana, can I make sure. a suggestion, please? We, we've already voted on what the agenda is for this evening, um, and he is part of the agenda. I would um, ask that we just, if he's able to make it by the end of the meeting, that's fine. If not, we wait until um, then at the end of the meeting, we can um, 
just postpone to next. Otherwise, if we decide now, then we're out of the order of our agenda. That we've already voted on. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I personally, I'm sure my fellow commissioners would agree, would love to get, uh, you know, even just a brief summary of the report, but, um, you know, obviously I think first off, first and foremost, love to. we've already made this a public meeting that he would be present. And so sure. we voted on that and then let's extend him the time to get situated. If he can still participate, if not by the end of the meeting, then we can. Um, move it to the next meeting. Sure, sure. Well, Mr. Bell, if you can hear us, I would just say uh, that we would love to receive your brief uh, presentation on the report, um, but perhaps maybe when you're able to pull over in a safe uh, area um, for your own safety as well, um, and we would love to, to hear that when you're in range. Um, so perhaps if you can hear us, uh, if you could connect with Ms. Silva Ray at that time um, and let her know when you are available. Uh, but if not, then we will uh, go ahead and just uh, hear the item uh, at the next meeting. So please, if you can hear us, connect with Ms. Silva Ray, let us know if that's something that's feasible. Um, and until then, we'll just go ahead and move forward with the rest of our agenda, um, but we'll leave it open until the rest of the night uh, to see if we can make that happen. So. Um, at this time, then, uh, we'll go ahead and take item 7, uh, the 3rd sector presentation by, uh, Oscar Benitez, director of 3rd sector. Hello, can you hear me? Is that Mr. Benitez or Mr. Bell? I think that was Mr. Bell trying to trying to weigh in. I'm happy to happy to wait if if he has a couple of comments for the commission. Mr. Bell, are you there? Yeah. So why don't we, uh, Ms. Silveray, if you could perhaps uh, you know connect with uh, Mr. Bell and just see if that's going to be possible, uh, and then in the interim. Let me go ahead and just move forward with item seven. Um, Hello, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Keep talking. We can't hear you now. I will send him an email and let him know if he could pull over in a safe spot where there where he has connection and uh, we'll we'll listen to his presentation when he when he can join us tonight sure and if you do have his phone number perhaps phone is better than email since he won't be likely checking his email while on the road i have it i'll send him a text while you all go on with your agenda thank you chief um okay mr benitez uh we'd love to hear your presentation uh, from third sector. So thank you for joining us tonight and I will go ahead and uh, hand it over to you. Thank you, Commissioner uh, Ariano and uh, Ms. Uh, Ms. Silva Ray. If it's possible for me to share my screen, I'd like to walk through the presentation that was shared with the commission. Um, if that's not possible, I'm happy to flip through and make reference to pages. 
Um, or if you are able to share, <laughs> uh, maybe we can tag team it. We'd love to do that. I see I now have the presenter rights, so that is great. Wonderful. Um, are you all able to see the presentation? Yes. Great. Um, well, great. Well, thank you. Thank you, everyone, for making time. Uh, my name is Oscar Benitez. Uh, I use he, him, his pronouns. Uh, I'm a director uh, in third sector San Francisco office. Um, I'm excited to share more about how organization is supporting uh, the juvenile probation department leadership, their staff, uh, and various community-based organizations. Uh, professionally, you know, our work with JPD um, is an extension of the work that I and my three other colleagues staffed on this effort have led in many other California counties and in various states throughout the country. Uh, personally, for myself, um, I've taught inside of a prison um, and I've had too many cousins attained for years as children um, in our legal system. So I definitely view this as more than just an assignment. Um, but an incredible um, opportunity to try and contribute to a lot of the work that many of you all have done uh, as a part of your careers. Um, I live in Bernal Heights and the majority of our consultants reside in San Francisco and Alameda counties. And we definitely recognize the spotlight and urgency that falls uh, under this work with, with JPD. So to that extent, you know, we definitely don't take um, this opportunity to share our work lightly. And in fact, you know, we, we hope that this can be the first of many conversations we can have uh, either with this body um, or others that sit uh, on, on the commission uh, so that we can build on a lot of the great work that has happened um, over the last couple of years around the Mayor's Blue Ribbon Panel, the Closed Juvenile Hall Workgroup, um, and, the, and the JJPA's efforts. I'm going to turn to slide one uh, to give a little bit of background, just in terms of who we are, um, third sector, uh, and then we'll um, spend some time walking through what our work has been uh, focused on over the last couple of months, and then more than happy to open it up for questions. Uh, so third sector, uh, we're a 501c3 uh, nonprofit organization. We're based downtown um, with a mission to transform public systems uh, to advance improved and equitable outcomes. Uh, we support governments at all levels. So this is federal, state, and county. Uh, we've invested the majority of our staff's time over the last decade uh, at the county level uh, and across uh, almost 40 states now uh, throughout the country. Uh, our teams, at the end of the day, um, develop or implement cross-agency implementation plans for governments uh, to better support the people who face high barriers to economic mobility and well-being. Um, so inherent in that work, as you can imagine, um, is equipping human service agencies with the tools to act uh, on a number of goals. Um, for some, those are goals that are focused on contracts. For others, those are racial equity goals or, or other engagement goals um, with their uh, beneficiaries. For others, it may be, it may be data. Um, but I think what makes our work different is that we customize um, our support. Um, alongside the doers within government and within communities. On this page, you'll see four buckets here. Uh, what I'll say is that our work is typically done alongside policymakers, budget decision makers, data experts, community members, and service delivery staff. Um, I will be clear that for our efforts with JPD, 
Um, we are focused in the area in yellow, uh, and this is tied to improving community based and probation programs. Um, our expectation is that the work will build on the other 3 areas listed here that we know there's been an extensive amount of work done. Uh, so, like the policy recommendations coming out of the mayor's blue ribbon panel earlier this year, um, the final version of the closed juvenile hall work group, uh, which we managed to um, get a chance to review last week and was recently finalized. And also the JJPA blueprint, um, I think, provide really important recommendations for our work to build on. Uh, the second piece I'd like to also acknowledge is that, you know, the mayors and the board of supervisors various funding efforts to support youth development is really, really important. Uh, and at the end of the day, we believe that the data insights and feedback um, that have been collected, not just by JPD, but also by CBOs, community members in this commission, um, are yes. really important sources yeah. of information to build our work. I think last point I'll mention here is that um, I, I co-lead our organization's work in diversion reentry um, throughout the country. Um, and what I will kind of bring to your attention is that we always strive to, strive to work um, in a true cross-agency manner in large part because a lot of our public systems have been designed as silos, either through funding streams or through fund uh, or through policy. Uh, and more importantly, uh, when we talk about cross-agency work, that's when we can put people at the center of it. So that when you talk about continuum of care, um, you're able to have systems collaborate with one another to meet the needs uh, that are most pressing. Um, at the bottom of this page, you'll get you'll see an example of some of the other work that we do. Go to the next slide here. Um, so our work with the department began in April of 2021 uh, to work with its partners and improve JPD's capacity uh, to act on a plan that will reduce racial disparities and advance equity for youth and families. Uh, our work will conclude in, in three phases uh, in, in March of 2022 uh, and uh, will involve JPD staff and CBO staff along the way we're currently in the midst of phase two, which you'll see here in the middle of the screen, um, where we are currently uh, focused on engaging day-to-day uh, -day staff from JPD uh, across all levels uh, of, of uh, JPD uh, probation, um, CBO practitioners, uh, leadership, counselors, case managers, so on and so forth. Uh, and our conversations to date have been focused primarily on JPD's active caseload. Uh, so these would be uh, youth um, that uh, would be engaged with, pro with supervision, either pre-adjudication or post-adjudication. Uh, JPD engaged our team uh, primarily to help inform their development of their external racial equity plan, uh, which from our understanding uh, is to be submitted at some point in 2022 at the request of the San Francisco Human Rights Commission. Uh, what we find great about that work is that the department is choosing to do that work in partnership with their community partners uh, and, and not necessarily doing it with themselves. Uh, we think that has been really helpful in ensuring that what the department is planning on doing from an external racial equity perspective is aligned with the recommendations that have come forth through the mayor's ribbon panel, close, the closed juvenile work group, uh, and the JJPA blueprint. Couple other quick notes I'll make, and then we'll get and I'll get into a couple of details, and I'll wrap it up. Uh, you'll see here in phase one 
that there was a review of the draft documents that were shared from the various citywide recommendations. Uh, and, and that's that's been really helpful in uh, in helping the department kind of triage all the different recommendations that they currently have control over. Um, but we also recognize that there are a number of really important policy and macro level proposals that are considered in the citywide conversations that will take some time um, to sort out and will require action outside of JPD. So Board of Supervisors, DA, law enforcement, um, potential legislation, so on and so forth. So, so our efforts here are really tried to try are really focused on understanding what JPD can control in partnership with its CBOs while um, all the other functions at city, county, at the city and county level uh, remain to be acted on um, in the months or potentially years to come. The second point I'll mention is uh, a, a core component or a first phase of work was conducting focus group conversations with numerous staff members at JPD, primarily uh, uh, JPD supervision. Uh, as, as really an opportunity to hear from their staff in terms of what are the challenges they see uh, with regards to racial equity. Um, number two, what challenges they would want to prioritize as top of the list to partner with their CBO um, counterparts to try and address. And what was really great about that, at least from our perspective, being in this space for the last decade, is that there was a lot of alignment from staff, from JPD staff, from JPD leadership, um, with what was uh, ultimately shared in the uh, Mayor's Blue Ribbon Panel, JJPA Blueprint, and the Closed Juvenile Hall Work Group. Uh, and what I will say about that work is that that is what led to the formation of work groups, which is what we're currently been in for the last uh, couple of weeks. Um, these are work groups um, that really are meant to establish working relationships among JPD practitioners and CBO practitioners, so that there is a recurring conversation um, today and into the future uh, where JPD policy practices, best practices to be specific, um, can be shared am amongst one another so that the needs of youth and families remain a priority. And we've heard loud and clear that this is definitely uh, an area to prioritize for the uh, boys and girls that uh, are Black, Latino, Asian American, Pacific Islander um, that currently fall under the, the active caseload of JPD. The last point I'll mention here is from third sector's perspective, you know, what we are doing is we're providing the preparation, support, the frameworks to have these conversations, uh, JPD staff and, and CBO staff. And then, and second, I do want to recognize that what is currently taking place from our perspective is not really meant to circumvent the current citywide conversations. Um, it's meant to figure out what are opportunities that JPD and CBOs can act on today and, and in the near future so that um, they can improve the, uh, the, the outcomes for youth that are currently under active uh, supervision. And we understand at any given point that could be anywhere between 280 or 300 youth, depending on the month. So it is a sizable portion of the population that um, um, while it's not the majority of folks um, that are diverted, um, you know, still have um, active day-to-day -day contact with JPD staff and CBOs. Last slide here on detail uh, and then, and then happy, happy to, to wrap up in the interest of time. 
Uh, want to give you a feel for what uh, the conversations have been about and, and what the focus groups uh, are, are, are discussing. Um, the first, the first point is that, you know, these partnership work groups um, were formed to, with, with really an eye towards like implementation. Um, and again, it's understanding what JPD and CBO staff can act on. The, you'll see here that they're organized by function. So um, there's intake, there's another work group that's focused on really the plan of care. And then there is another work group focused on case management. Each of these work groups are comprised of around 10 individuals, um, evenly split between JPD staff and various CBO um, staff members. Um, for reference, you'll see all the CBOs that are participating in this effort are listed in the footnote on this page. Um, all of most of which, if not all, um, have been participant, uh, have participated in the uh, citywide conversations I've alluded to earlier, uh, the Blue Room Panel, Closure Hall Work Group, and the JJBA Blueprint. Uh, in terms of intake, I um, want to give you a, probably a better feel of, of kind of what's going on there. Um, one, of, one of the key components is that the citywide recommendations all identified assessment at the first point of contact. Um, with the legal system as an area for improvement. And in fact, you know, we think that the report that was recently finalized um, through the Closure and Hall Work Group was great because it provided really the, uh, the, the spotlight in terms of where to focus on. But we also appreciated the level of nuance that said, look, you know, more time is needed to hash out specifics. Um, and we think this could potentially be one of those spaces where those specifics can be elevated. We're currently in the midst of doing a landscape review of all assessments uh, for youth at intake and determining what is required by law and statute versus what is JPD policy or a norm. This has been a really helpful conversation in large part because there's a lot of education going on as far as uh, community-based organizations explaining and identifying that these are the assessments that they view really helpful in identifying need, and then JPD staff doing the same. So we think that collaboration has been great. Um, but part of the reason why an assessment or, or sorry, a landscape is kind of being done is to help understand those parameters with which JPD staff and CBOs can understand how to make the assessment process less duplicative, less traumatizing uh, or, or inaccurate, which again, were, were very clearly articulated in many of the citywide conversations. Um, in terms of um, case planning, uh, the, the concept of collaborative care committees, well-being committees, and other type of collaborative care spaces um, have also been uh, previously uh, articulated quite clearly. And what's been great about the conversations we've been having with the community-based organizations and JPD staff is that they want to learn about how to engage youth, families, and the youth supports network as early as possible. Uh, and we've actually started uh, discussing the concept of youth success team collaborations um, as something that JPD staff are excited to explore in partnership with their community-based organization partners um, that have given this idea some thought. Um, ultimately, the goal is trying to identify how to clarify roles and responsibilities so that JPD staff and CBO staff are working in tandem um, and not necessarily duplicating um, efforts. And the last portion here on case management um, this is really more about uh, aligning uh, and improving the exchange of information between JPD staff and community-based organizations, particularly at the point of referrals um, and also program delivery. Uh, 
one of the key components that are that that are that will be discussed is thinking about how uh, credible messengers, peer support specialists, mentorship, family engagement, alongside with youth engagement, can be uh, integrated. Uh, and in addition to that, there's also a, a, an increasing desire to talk about strategies, effective strategies that JPD staff have identified, that CBOs have identified, uh, to work with with families directly to ensure that court mandates, for example, are understood. Um, and more importantly, how they can be harmonized with the plan of care. We've heard very clearly that who delivers a message, when that message is delivered, and how that's done in partnership is really, really important. Uh, perhaps the last comment I will make before wrapping up here is that, you know, once this work is done in March, um, and, and the technical assistance that third sector is providing is, is, is wrapped up, we kind of expect four things to, to take place. You can call them deliverables, or you can call them, you know, maybe barometers of, of, of success. But this is kind of what we've seen in our work over the last decade um, with, with numerous human service agencies. Um, we hope that CBO and JPD staff work groups will continue to, to meet and, and collaborate uh, based on the frameworks that they have put together. Um, third sector does not come to these spaces with solutions or say, hey, here's what worked in other jurisdictions, you should do it. In fact, we we have set the agenda, we have set all content based off of preferences that have been articulated by all the work group participants. The second is that we hope that a vision for racial equity is, is operationalized in the day-to-day -day work. So we know that the department will be documenting their plan at some point. Um, but really the question is, how do ideas become action? And, and, we're, and really the first step in that is having trusting relationships, um, again, across agencies and departments. And starting with uh, JPD's uh, staff and CBO staff uh, just felt like a very natural first step in light of the um, citywide conversations that have been occurring over the last two to three years. The third piece um, is, is perhaps for JPD's perspective to have a better understanding how to improve their various internal or external initiatives. So this is around training, uh, probation and communities programs and working relationships. And then lastly, and more importantly, all of the work that's being done here is documented. It is openly shared among all the participants um, of, of the work groups um, and, and obviously with, with the department. So. Um, we think it's this is really important intermediary step as um, many of the citywide efforts have come to an end. And really, it sounds like 2022 is really an opportunity for some decisions to be made. But, but we hope that momentum continues. And more importantly, a lot of the conversations that are happening in this space will then help inform some of the uh, big policy level questions that have been raised across the citywide recommendations. I'll end here for reference in terms of other efforts that have been similar to our work um, with JPD and the community-based organizations, but obviously uh, more than happy to come back to this commission or to, help, or to host a separate conversation at another time to discuss that. But again, really appreciate the time you all provided to share uh, the work that has been, it's been a lot, it's been messy, but that, that's what cross-agency work is all about. Um, and, and we're excited um, to kind of see it all harmonize with the broader citywide conversations. Thank you, Mr. Benitez, for your presentation. Um, a few questions, um, and, and feel free, Chief, uh, if 
you want to jump in here um, if it's perhaps your jurisdiction over Mr. Benitez. But it, se it seems like this is structured in a way to help the department do something that perhaps it doesn't have the resources to do. Um, it seems like a lot of organizing, a lot of um, bringing people together and getting thoughts from both the community side as well as the uh, internal uh, staff side, employees, and bringing it all together in a way that can really drive the transformation of the department um, to where it wants to go uh, in the future is that kind of accurate way of describing it um that that really you guys are almost like facilitators i mean i don't mean that in a negative way but like facilitating a really rich dialogue uh around some of these issues and bringing people from the community the department as well as perhaps other policy thought leaders into the process as needed is that kind of an accurate representation of this engagement yes but i i i defer to the to to the department, I think to maybe perhaps speak to like the the why, uh, but I, I would say that is, that is accurate. Right, and 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 chief, uh, I mean, this sounds like a pretty, uh, you know, it's a lot of work in a nutshell. I mean, it's a it's a monumental undertaking. It sounds like to really bring all these folks together. You know, and again, I don't know if this is for the chief or Mr. Benitez, but what has engagement been like in the focus groups, in the community, uh, in the CBO, you know, uh, work groups and so forth? I mean, have we had like a lot of rich participation? Participation? Uh, have we had, you know, a lot of the folks that um, we need come to the table and really engage with this process? What has that kind of been like thus far? I, I'll, I'll defer to Oscar because he's in all of the meetings and the, in the 2 meetings that I've been in. I do think it was really productive. I think. People were really engaged in the conversation um, in very detailed ways um, and, you know, and just relationally, I would say for me, just watching folks. From probation and, and the RCBO partners in that space. Having those conversations and having those relationships that way has also been valuable, but uh, Oscar. Feel free to jump in because I just haven't been in as many as you, obviously. Uh, it's been great. Um, I, I would say that um, we've had essentially close to perfect attendance. Um, that I think in large part has, has, I think, a lot to do with how helpful the JJPA has been in being thoughtful in who can participate and if someone isn't able to participate, you know, what is an appropriate substitute structure? Um, I think there was a lot of thought also given to try to not duplicate a lot of the conversations that, you know, had occurred in the past. Naturally, right? The first couple of conversations, there will be an a level of duplication because everyone's coming to, to these spaces with different experiences, different expertise. And to be honest, also probably a different um, uh, expectation of how to engage with JPD. And I say this as someone that spends a lot of time looking at, um, you know, the legal system in other spaces. Um, it wouldn't be fair to uncharacterize, you know, some of that uh, expectation setting be sometimes hostile in the past. Um, that has not been the case at all, which has been so rewarding for us as facil facilitators because you're not 
really working against issues of trust. Um, you're building the trust as you go along. And once you have that, you are able to get into the detail and start finding, um, I don't want to use the term middle ground because that means that there's there, there's seating. That's not the right term, but you're able to understand what works for youth through the lens of like the practitioners that are supporting them day to day. And you're able to do it with a level of specificity that uh, sometimes may not be possible just given hours of the day. Right, right, right. And I, and I personally, what I love to hear um, in that presentation was, it seems like there's a lot of accountability and tracking that's gone into this. Um, is that accurate? It seems like part, I, I don't remember which slide it was on, but one of the slides, it seemed like there's a lot of like figuring out what these planning efforts are, these groups tracking it, making sure that there's accountability and what the next deliverable is going to be. And so almost like making sure that after each meeting or focus group or, or what have you, that there's actual movement and, and action on this ultimately leading to whatever's going to come out at the end of the engagement. Is that kind of accurate? Is that, it seems like that's kind of a big focus is, is making sure that there's deliverables coming out um, of each meeting. That's right. Yeah. And, and we, we think about that as just maintaining momentum, right? It's here's what we decided. Here's what's next. Here's the prep for the next meeting and we're moving forward. Um, we're entering a phase where we're, I would say, closing out on the information gathering side from everyone that's participating. And we're going to start doing more of the direct conversations between um, CBO staff and JP, JPD staff, where really third sector is kind of setting the framework and the, and the questioning, um, which is where, like, I would say the unique nature of this work comes to fruition. I think your comment on accountability at the micro level, I think is there. Um, I think at the macro level, and this is what I think with the closed juvenile hall work group report does an incredible job of doing, it, it highlights the importance of cross-agency work. And this is kind of the first step, right? JPD and its CBO partners. Um, we have seen this type of structure work in other jurisdictions where DMH is also at the table, DAs are at the table, the courts at the table, DCYF is at the table, um, HSA, you know, is at the table. Um, we're not doing that here. Um, and, and frankly, don't think that's our role. But as, as an organization that was brought by JPD, we love the fact that it has been a process. It's not just been a JPD only conversation, just with their leadership or just with two or three people. Um, the work groups include, you know, over, I would say 40 people. Um, a number of community-based organizations on page three, you'll you'll see them all listed there. Um, and then we are also like working closely with uh, the department's leadership. We're meeting with them on a monthly basis um, to figure out what are their priorities that we can bring into this space. Uh, so that more to come, obviously. Uh, we're we're in December. Um, our work ends in March, um, and and hope that the spring will be a really important time for us to get specific and hopefully share some of the great ideas that came out of that space with you all. Great. Uh, and one last question I had is, I saw the last slide you had with all the um, other jurisdictions that third sector works with. Have you undertaken similar processes of this nature in other jurisdictions? I know obviously we may be one of the first um, to um, be undertaking yeah. such a, a transformational effort 
uh, of this nature. Uh, but I just was curious if you had done something similar and uh, how that had gone, if so. Yes, um, I will say that um, specifically uh, for juvenile probation, we have worked with a handful of jurisdictions, but not at this level. We have worked with jurisdictions looking at one program. We have worked with jurisdictions looking at a number of contracts, for example, a way to change um, their funding so it's more flexible for their providers, for example. Um, but we, we have engaged in these spaces with workforce development boards that are looking to prioritize enrollment for young people that are previously in the legal system. Um, we've also engaged in these spaces in the foster care space. Um, but to specifically, like, has third sector help, like, a department put together a racial, an external racial equity plan due to a human rights commission? Um, no, that is unique. But we think that that is really important because what all of our work has resulted in our other jurisdictions is that it's led to that type of system-wide work that ends up in a budget. It ends up in a five-year strategic plan. So it's really more after the fact, not proactive, the way uh, San Francisco is, in, is is embracing it, which we which think is great and transparent. Great, great. Um, well, I'll, I appreciate the presentation. Uh, I'll just pause there. Um, Chief, I mean, I know that you guys have had a lot of attrition over the last, you know, what? I, I mean, it feels like in COVID time, I don't know if it was last year or this year, but it just in the more, in the more recent uh, last two years, uh, it feels like You've lost a lot of staff and, um, you know, bringing in uh, assistance to undertake something of this nature feels to me like it makes sense because um, I know that you guys are busy running the department and uh, making sure that the other transformation that's taking place at the closed juvenile hall work group, as well as the board and all the other um, bodies that are working um, parallel tracks to, to obviously make this a reality. Um, I, I'm sure it's not uh you know an easy undertaking and um to me it makes sense um to to bring in some help um because i think the kids uh deserve that um and so um i appreciate uh the presentation mr benitez and i'll just go ahead and open it up to my colleagues here um uh to ask questions as well uh commissioner brodkin go ahead yeah thank you um I have uh, quite a few things to say about this and have spent a good deal of time sort of looking at the materials that have been produced, talking to people who have been participating in this. So I, several hours of meetings about it, uh, talking to individuals. And I am concerned about this um, on a number of different levels. Uh, and while I really admire the department for taking the initiative and feel like some of the work that our program committee did, you know, certainly led to the idea that there be better communication between between CBOs and probation officers. But given what what's happening now in, uh, in the context of what what work has to be done, uh, given how this is going so far from what I have heard, which is, you know, quite a bit different from what Mr. Benitez has presented. Um, I uh, need to share that I have a bunch of concerns. And I 
want, I want to, <laughs> I hope the commission will indulge me in giving me the time to share those. The first is the process. Now, my understanding from talking to the chief, they had to do this quickly. They had to, you know, use this particular organization. Uh, there was just no way to have a more public discussion. Uh, maybe, maybe not, but I have to say this started last December. The contract was signed in March. I didn't get a copy of the contract despite asking for it till October. And it wasn't on our agenda till um, uh, uh, until October. Maybe you sent it to me in September and I'm, mis I'm misremembering it. But I don't think given the scope of what we're doing here and talking about there could have been a lot more room for discussion. And I am imagining that if this had been an open open discussion that we would not be that the process would look different. And I suspect maybe the organization helping us would would look different. So I have some recommendations to make to the commission about the process. The second is I think the cost is totally out of line with what your job is, with what you've described, with what we're trying to accomplish, given the scope of what's going on now in the city. This is a half a million dollar contract to basically do facilitation. And, you know, they have promised us 1.15 staff people. This is for half a million, $480,000. Mr. Benitez invoices the department for $350 an hour. This, the, the magnitude of the cost of this is totally inappropriate. I asked, kept asking for the budget. There never, there, there isn't a budget. There's a bunch of lump sums that say, we're gonna you know, pay us $160,000 first for the first phase and then $160,000 for the second phase for these, you know, sort of lump things, $80,000 for a report, $20,000 for, to, you know, to facilitate a meeting, you know, how much to do focus groups. That's not a budget. I, I don't know any CBO. I don't know anybody who could get this kind of money out of the city with the kind of sort of generic, general, uh, no specificity in the budget. And I find it particularly ironic, Mr. Benitez, that your major thing in life is accountability and making sure that the public sector spends its money uh, appropriately. And we you know, we have this half a million dollars, which I think has totally inadequate uh, documentation and is totally inadequate for the scope of what needs to be done at this point in time. I would also like to say, I have concerns about this organization. It, its real name is Third Sector Capital Partners. And it's basically grounded and what it's known for and its claim to fame is something called uh, pay for success. Now, I don't have the time to sort of share with my fellow commissioners what pay for success is, but I have to say it is to me 
a totally inappropriate grounding for what it is we're trying to do here. This is what they're known for. And pay for success actually says, we're gonna take money from the corporate sector because they know how to do things, right? And we're gonna you know, get them to give it to government and we're gonna get government to be so much more accountable than they are now. They're gonna get to pay the corporate sector back. They claim they have a big idea. This is a fad that started about 15 years ago. I, I don't want to belabor it. I, I intend to raise this with the Human Rights Commission that, you know, actually the thesis of this thing that somehow we have all this surplus of public dollars. I, and I, I read, you know, some of the writings of Carolyn Whistler, who's the founder and the director and whose work, you know, the, their, their work is sort of premised on this, um, which I, I find the opposite of what is true, that somehow we're gonna learn from the corporate sector uh, how to be accountable. Actually, the corporate sector is responsible for the inequalities in our society. They're focused on profit, they're focused on exploiting workers. They're the reason we have the problems that we have. So the idea that this organization that is you know, grounded in a philosophy that I feel is extremely problematic and makes no sense. Um, I don't think it's right for the city. I mean, if you look at the background of staff, they, they're mostly backgrounds in corporate equity, uh, things related to finance. Um, I did look at the project that um, Mr. Benitez worked on in Alameda, and as he said, very candidly, one agency, one small program, you know, it's, it's nothing like what we're trying to, to do here. And so I, I object to this organization on the basis of this sort of philosophy and grounding, and also the idea, this is sort of a McKinsey consulting idea. I, I asked around people who had worked with a third sector, they described them as sort of mini McKinsey's, um, which is that there's some sort of expertise in how to facilitate and how to help people come to conclusions and that you don't need to really have a nuanced understanding of the field. I, I think that's a terrible mistake. And I think the work that's gone on so far in the report that you have done sort of reflects uh, a sort of superficial understanding. It's kind of simplistic, boilerplate, uh, generic stuff. The, the process that you um, laid out is it's it it is sort of consultant generic boilerplate outcomes data driven best practices you know you don't know in terms of the plan really very much about what you're talking about i, I don't concur that that approach is is really what we need here so and the report that was done i, I was like wait a minute, this is the most simplistic report. You know, we have three values, centering youth, family, racial equity. It, it was very superficial, very simplistic. Um, I, I found it, given that it's costing $160,000 for this, this phase of it, and I saw a real red flag when you describe participation. You invited everybody in the probation department to participate in a survey, to participate in focus groups. You had 14 people 
participate. 13 people, you know, answered the survey. That's, a, I would have stopped there and said, wait a minute, we are not going to continue with this when we have a level of participation that says there's a problem here. So I don't understand the committees. I wouldn't have organized the, with the work that way, but, you know, that's uh, kind of beside the point. So I guess um, part of what I'm saying is I think that this reflects a real failure to build on what we have already done. And what I have heard is something very different from what you described. I have heard people frustrated, people saying, we're not focusing on structural change. That's where we need to be. It sort of feels kind of random. What do you want to discuss? What do you think the roots of delinquency? It feels unfocused, repetitive. Um, and that seems consistent with what I saw in the reports. Um, and uh, I don't even understand the underlying premise of this, which is, well, we're going to have three CBOs and three probation officers, and they're going to sort of mix it up in some general way without, in what feels like an unfocused, not focused on sort of what we've all been doing together for the last two years. What what is the idea that we're going to come to some feel good middle of the ground something or other and then i only learned talking to maria uh last week that this is considered a decision making process i don't think anybody understands that i don't think they understand what the department wants to get out of it i don't think they've been transparent at all about their goals, what the what, what the structure of this, what the department hopes to get, how decisions are going to be made. So you have these groups that are now divided into subgroups, which seems to frustrate everybody. Um, and uh, then you throw this back to the nine people on the JPD steering committee, and somehow they pick the best ideas. It's really unclear what this process is, what the department wants to get out of it. Um, and I would have to say, uh, you know, I think one of the things I'm most concerned about, both Chief and Mr. Benitez, is that we have so much important work to do. And I fear you're killing the spirit and motivation of a lot of people who are just like had it with repeating the same thing over and over with these processes. Um, you know, you may think that the major deal in talking about intake is, oh, let's decide on a common assessment. Let's figure out what questions we want to ask. That's really not the major issue here. The major issue is who does an assessment? When is it done? We have now a plan that lays out in graphic form what are the what the uh front end of a system needs to look like. I mean, if I were doing a group on intake, I, I would start with that. And then I would want to know from the department, what of that do you want to know? What, you know? And I would also, by the way, want to make sure that people in the department actually have read all this stuff and are grounded in this stuff. And that coming to this group is not like, orientation 101 to um, what it what two years of work has been done. Maybe I'm wrong about that. So I just want to say, I, I want to go through with you guys. We we're putting a lot of energy into this. I hear from a lot of people, I would say 
the majority of people who are involved in this, a high level of frustration. People actually want to be paid to come and then they hear you're making half a million dollars to facilitate meetings, but there's no money to give um, CBOs uh, uh, some token of, a, of a recognition for the time they're being asked to do. But I just so you know, and so my fellow commissioners know, this is the kind of thing that's in the report that lies ahead of us. We're going to reduce the footprint of JPD, eliminate 80% of admissions. We're going to find a new way to deal with warrants, limit, eliminate traffic court, uh, expedite hearings, uh, completely change the front end of the system, restructure it. Um, uh create hubs create then create well-being committees but uh where and when we want to redo placement uh limit congregate care um deal with kids that are a wall in a completely different way we want to co-run the juvenile hall we want to limit time on probation we want to eliminate electric monitoring we want to get po's out of home detention we need to maximize medical Etc. 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 That's a lot of work. That's what we need to be doing. And I would say I have a lot of respect for the leadership of the juvenile probation department. I I love some of the people, but um, I I feel like uh, this is way out of proportion to what needs to be done. And if you want to show respect for the people in it. Um, for the people in this process, I feel like you've got to look at this in context. You've got to look at the amount of money that's being spent on this. Um, you've got to look at the number of people who feel like they're spinning their wheels. So I have two recommendations for the commission. One is I never want to see us have a half a million dollar contract without it being a public discussion, without the commission approving it. I have checked with the lawyers. It wasn't illegal. We have nothing in our bylaws that says we need to approve any contracts. So I have asked our president to put this on a future agenda because I think it's really important to have that level of transparency about our contracts. Um, the school district managed, which is a billion dollar budget manages to do this has a consent calendar has has ways they deal with contracts. With, you know, that's sort of basic. We, we need to be able to do that. And that's the springs up that my second recommendation is to the department, which I love, which is, I hope you take what I said seriously. I, I'm asking you to pause and say, would you take some time to really assess the actual outcomes, the cost, the cost benefits to hear from people um, before barreling ahead. Would you take the time to be more transparent about what you're trying to achieve, what the decision making process is, the clarity that you want? And can you, you made some vague things in your plan about, oh, we're going to involve a lot of other people. Can, can you be explicit about who is going to be in, uh, involved um, and communicate with other people who've been involved in this two-year process? This is what we're doing right now. So um, I have confidence that the department, I, I personally would discontinue this contract and they're legally allowed to do that. I would look very carefully at the expertise of third sector, as charming as Mr. Benitez is. Um, 
Uh, I'm so amused by your 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 work plan. Like, oh, we're going to show 16 slides. I mean, when you have to resort to how many slides you're going to show, when you have to show that you're experts in racial equity by, you know, bragging in your materials that, you know, my God, our whole staff had three days of undoing racism. So obviously, we're qualified to do this. So. Obviously, <laughs> I have a lot of concerns about this and, you know, I can see Katie shaking her head, but <laughs> I would, I, I am really happy to talk more with the leadership of probation. I'm happy to talk more with anybody from third sector. I have a dozen more things that I would take your time to say if we had it. I've been through all the reports. I can tell you why I have the sort of perceptions that I have that are very different from yours, Mr. Benitez. Um, why I think this is a process that needs to be reevaluated at best. Um, and why I think we could spend our dollars better and why I think we now have a very full report. And did you see this in the context of that report so that people don't feel that they're starting again? This is out of context. And why, why is this what we're doing now? So that's my opinion. I, I don't actually have questions. <laughs> I, ha I have spent a lot of time talking to people about this. I'm happy to talk further with everyone, but I, I, those are my two recommendations. Thank you, Commissioner. Um, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, I think before I obviously let Mr. Benitez and, and Chief Miller respond, I, I just want to have make three points. I think number one, um, I do appreciate um, what uh, sounds like pretty extensive research you've done, Commissioner Brodkin, but I think it's unfair perhaps to Chief Miller, the implication that she would, because I did see you, you asked Commissioner to have the contract included in the supporting document, so I read through it. I think the implication that Chief Miller, who this commission uh, hand-selected to be the chief of the department, would engage with an organization that's simply uh, intended to um, it's whose goal is simply profit is perhaps a. I didn't uh, say that, Joe. I didn't say that, and it was I, pretty I, clear. Let, let me let me let me just let me just make my points, Commissioner. Um, and I just want to make this because you had a lot of time. Um, I just think that that. You, by the way, you spent a lot of time asking questions, probably more time than I spent. Right, Commissioner, and I think I we, am not I accusing this from only I, about I profits. Make your points, Commissioner, please. Please, point of order, please. I just want to say that I think that's an unfair characterization for the chief and the department to say that they would engage with a entity that perhaps is sole uh, uh, effort or goal is to maximize profit. And I and, and you had like a that is not what I said. I, I can't sit here while you misrepresent what I said. Well, uh, secondly, I just I just want to make that point. Um, cause I think it's unfair to the department and the chief. Um, secondly, I wanted to just make the point that, um, I've never personally heard of, um, people participating in, uh, public processes ever getting paid for their time. So I wanted to just ask the chief if that's something that there's precedent for, and if that was asked for in this process. And then 3rd, I think. Well, I do defer uh, to Commissioner Brodkin and a lot of the conversations that she has with the community. 
I just feel like there's a lot of uh, stuff that was said in your remarks, Commissioner, where you said, I spoke with these people, I've, I've talked to these people, but I would urge you perhaps in the future to have those people participate in this meeting and perhaps join us at public comment. Because while I do uh, believe that we all have the best in, in, uh, interests and efforts and um, you know goals for the department and for the commission and for the community, that it would just be great to hear those those views firsthand, um, just so that perhaps it doesn't fall specifically on you to uh, to transfer those uh, to the commissioners and to the public. So I just I would just urge you in the future if there are conversations being had. I know that this is a very uh, difficult time for many people to meet. Uh, you know Wednesday uh, in the evenings when perhaps people are uh, you know with their families or have prior engagements. But it would just be really great to have those folks. I mean we see it all the time at the board of supervisors or at other commissions where people come in mass to express you know their views on an item. And I would just love to hear them firsthand. Okay, Joe, since you've decided this can be a debate between you and me, let me say I've done more than anyone on this commission ever to bring community voices into this and really get people involved. You also have to understand the trepidation that people have. You know, people are dependent on the department for referrals, uh, be in their good graces, et cetera, et cetera. And I normally don't do this, but I felt compelled to do it because of the strength of what I heard and the trepidation of people to do what you described, which I always encourage people to do. And I do not mean that the, the chief, you know, had engaged in a secret contracting process. But that was the result, which is that we had this huge contract, half a million dollars, which started in December, and we didn't hear about it till October. So we can improve upon that. And the minute I got the contract, I was alarmed. So who are these people? And started researching who they are. And because of my other job in life, I have spent a lot of time learning about public sector financing, uh, studied social impact bonds and this whole approach. I'm not saying that's what they're doing here, but I'm saying this is an organization that is grounded in that philosophy that has developed its ex expertise in that philosophy and spends a lot of its time doing that work. I, I acknowledge and appreciate your efforts on behalf of the commission, the community uh, and so forth. Uh, and I don't think that that is in question. I just think that, you know, a lot was said in your remarks, Commissioner, I, and I'll, I'll let, you know, uh, Mr. Benitez and Chief Miller respond. Um, but I just think that I just wanted to make those points that I, I do think that you know, we as a commission want to work, uh, you know, in partnership with the department to uh, obviously do a lot of different things that have been put uh, on our plates, as well as the plate of the community members who are leading this effort, uh, as well as the folks at the Board of Supervisors. And so I just think that we, I would just ask that moving forward, we have a maybe perhaps a little bit of deference to uh, the chief that we as a commission selected. Um, because I do think that there is a certain point where, um, you know, some of the accusations or the things that were said in your remarks 
uh, about the organization that came tonight to present to us were just perhaps a little bit unfair without um, you know, you may disagree with me, Joe, we can, we are allowed to disagree and we're allowed to say a department that we love might have made a mistake in this case. And there are ways to remedy it. So and I and kind of resent being told that don't be critical. We're an oversight commission, Joe, that's our job. You know, I'm and nobody works more collaboratively with I'm the department than I'm I do. I'm saying that we can be perhaps cordial and make uh, points without having to um, perhaps, uh, you know, resort to the, some of the, uh, you know, vitriol that was used in some of the contents that if, if I said. And lastly, I, I'm sorry, before I, I, I want to let Chief Miller and Mr. Benitez respond. I just want to say, Commissioner Brodkin, I don't, there are plenty of CBOs that go before the Board of Supervisors that have contracts and engagements with the city and uh you know they are not bashful in being advocates for their positions so to make the implication that because of uh you know contracts with the city that people are perhaps fearful of coming in and, and coming and speaking Most at the time comment. they're not in this particular instance i think that was the case um and i, I, I think we should i think we should let them Chief Miller and also Mr. Bonito respond like um, uh, the president suggested. Sure, sure. Have to hear from them, please. Sure. Uh, perhaps, Chief, do you want to go ahead first, and then we'll open it up to Mr. Benitez. Sure. Thank you. I, you know, I think what I just would like to quickly do, I think, is walk through kind of our rationale and why we move forward with this process because. Um, I probably should have led with that right as part of this presentation tonight. Um, so, uh, so let me quickly do that and then um, just in case it informs any of the questions or answers that other commissioners may be prepared to ask. You know, so Commissioner Brodkin is completely right. We did not bring this contract to the commission and she's also right that that hasn't been the practice at this commission to bring contracts to you for your review. Um, and I completely agree with making that be a practice of this commission going forward. So in my mind, we're talking about two issues. There's how we got to what, what the background was and how we entered into this contract. And then there's what do we want and what the value we see in it now. Um, I do wanna say that the, the funding that we had that we put into this contract, we were given a brief window of time in the summer of 2020 to identify a way to keep prior unspent budget funds from a prior year and put it toward a purpose grounded in racial equity that without being able to identify a purpose, we were gonna lose that funding. And we had to identify it and confirm it and kind of work, do make it real, right, in a very short period of time. Well, uh, we selected third sector by looking at other city departments that had done requests for qualification, requests for proposals to kind of pre-qualify firms that do things like strategic planning um, adult probation at that time had just completed an actual RFQ process. Third sector was one of the agencies that they identified through that process. And they had explicitly said in their process that other city departments could use the results of what they did. So because we knew we would never have the time to do that ourselves, we went that way. Um, of the organizations that they had pre-qualified, I think third sector, and I still believe third sector was a great fit for the work we were looking for. My own conversations with their references confirmed to me that I thought they could do the work we were looking for. Um, 
it is, I'm not passing judgment on the pay for success model that they also have done work with because that's not what we were asking them to do, nor is it the only thing they do. What we liked about their work was their breadth of experience with government and community. Um, I also really liked the work they had done in places like Multnomah County, which is often regarded as one of the most kind of advanced juvenile probation, juvenile justice systems around the country. Um, and so it made sense for us. Uh, the contract negotiations were what we engaged in. They're not what Oscar engaged in. <laughs> it was us and their team. So I, you know, I'm happy to be accountable and talk about that. Um, and we did have this money and we went forward with a budget that we thought would meet the needs of this process. I hear Commissioner Brodkin's concern about the amount. We are often very used to in the in the public sector having to get by on paper clips and scotch tape. And we had an, an opportunity to actually engage in a contract at a level that we thought would make sense for what I would have characterized as actually bringing a lot of support to those of us who do this work every day without that support, right? To the people in government and even bigger to our community partners. Um, I do want to note, because you asked this question specifically, President Ariano, and I know Commissioner Brodkins brought this up as well, um, as has the members of the Juvenile Justice Providers Association, they did raise the question, could we pay for their time in these meetings? The, the folks from community, um, obviously we also have probation staff in the meetings, but that question came up. Um, I thought it was a legitimate question. We have talked to DC Department of Children, Youth and Families to see if there's any precedent for them being able to make that happen. I've talked to the Human Rights Commission to see if they've had any way to do that in the past. I've come up empty in those conversations, but have committed to try to figure out some way um, to, you know, financially or otherwise recognize and appreciate the the the. the 15 CBO staff that are spending their time in these meetings. So I, uh, it's an imperfect answer, but I do want to recognize that we we are trying to find a way to hear that and respond to it. In terms of the purpose of this for me, you know, and, and Commissioner Brodkin's point, which is very well taken, that we've gone through all of these planning processes, like we have the recommendations, let's do them. Yeah, <laughs> I totally agree. Um, but I think we need help getting that to happen. You know, um, I don't know if Dan McAleer is here tonight and listening to me, um, but you know, the thing I have heard Dan say the most over the years is that the biggest waste is when we wind up with a report that sits on a shelf. And I worry that without having this kind of kind of momentum and process to support us into implementation, that the things that have come out from the Mayor's Blue Ribbon Panel Report from the closed juvenile hall report that's coming out now, um, from the blueprint that the Juvenile Justice Providers Association has offered up, that those things will sit on a shelf without us having the support and the structure and the container to figure that stuff out. I understand that it can feel um, small to start with specific tasks, but I really believe that we need to actually be building the blocks to get to those changes. So the question of what do we ask families in that first moment and how many times do we ask them the same questions and how many different people they have to talk to about their lives? Like, I think that is actually a really important first step, for example, for the assessment committee to tackle. I think when we're putting the experience of our young people and their families at the actual center of how we all 
orbit around them, that the ways that these uh, three work groups have positioned conversation is exactly on point. Um, and I will be honest and say, I need this. I think we do need it. I think that, that we need support to move forward and actually do the work, do the kind of the devil is in the details, and we need some, we need help getting us through that. I think the fact that we've had 15 nonprofits jump into the conversation with us is amazing. I do really want to say for anyone who's listening that if folks do have concerns and criticism about the process, that we do want to hear it. I'm going to acknowledge, I do want to acknowledge that the Juvenile Justice Providers Association reached out to me to discuss some questions and concerns, and I was not able to do it. Uh, in the last two weeks, because I was out with a family situation, so I want to, I do want to thank them for reaching out about it and happy to have those conversations. Happy to talk about what can be done better, but I really don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater on this. I think this is an important way to do the vision that you all hired me to do. Um, I want this help and we want it instead of right having more kind of city government actors doing the work. And I also frankly think that if probation did try to spearhead this ourselves without that kind of additional neutral layer moving us along, that people might have concerns about that too. The last thing I want to say right now is that, um, you know, in terms of next steps, I did say to all of you on, on the record, either in September or October, that we are completely happy and willing, and I think it's a great idea to come back to you at the end of this little, this phase we're in in this process right now to offer to this commission the products of that phase, the recommendations, the ideas that have come out of it from probation and our CBO partners to have that conversation here and to collectively decide with your buy-in whether we wanna move forward into the next phase of the work or not. I think that is very different than just stopping it right now um, you know, the, the 10 people at the table in each of those, you know, the five JPD staff, the five CBOs at the table for each of those, they've already put their time in to these meetings. We've already been doing this for weeks. And if we stop doing it right now, it's not money that we can repurpose to something else. It's just gone. So to me, we have a process. I would like to see us through this phase. I welcome ideas for anybody at that table or anybody else about how to make it um, more effective. I feel good about the way it started. Um, and I think this is a necessary aid for us so that we can do the work of implementation. I don't know if James Bell could hear us at, tonight. I think at some point he could finally start hearing us. But as he himself has said, the closed juvenile hall worker process is not about implementation. It ends with the delivery of like a 65 page document with really, really important and hard recommendations. And so we need to use the tools we can to do the, the difficult and challenging and detailed and sometimes frustrating work of turning those recommendations into reality. So this is the first that I've heard that this report then is um, to do that. <laughs> that was not clear to me at all. I have to sure. say to you, um, I love a really good juicy, medium rare steak. It's, it's, it's a treat that I love. Not everyone here may be a meat eater or whatever, but you know, it's good, right? Good filet mignon. But when it's presented to me on a paper plate, 
the experience is very different. And I say that because it seems to me that this commission has been gaslit. It's not clear to me about the, the, the process. I'm not understanding. This is the first I have ever heard where a commission for this kind of expenditure, I know that there may have been some issues relative that if we didn't um, spend the, the, the monies, they would be reverted elsewhere. But I, it's not clear to me, and this happened before my tenure on, on this commission, but having served on the commission for, as a commissioner in the city and county of San Francisco for 21 years, this is a rather odd and unusual situation where the commission did not seem to be involved, even if there was an emergency meeting that needed to be held um, to approve, to review, to be engaged in this process to support um, your uh, the action at, at, uh, in your capacity as chief and other uh, department members to move forward with this. So I'm just going to put that out there. I've not heard that addressed at all. The fact that the, we needed to to um, to uh, take hold and, and and put these resources to good use and in a quick turnaround. I'm that's that happens uh, regularly, but certainly um, with the approval or input of um, the commission um, and uh, a commission and um, certainly with, with with public input. So I would like to know more about that. Maybe that's not something we can address in full this evening, but I, I'll have to just say, and it is is not to personalize. I'm just saying rather objectively and based on my experience, um, one of the uh, fundamental and priority uh, causes of a commission is that of fiduciary responsibility. How our tax dollars are being um, used and, and implemented towards uh, appropriate and good cause. So sure. let's I'll put a pin in that for the moment. Can I can I respond to you instead of putting yeah, a pin in? Because I'm yeah. rather puzzled sure. by that. Sure. So I I will I am happy to go back through the recordings from the last year, Commissioner to, to uh, review and identify for you the number of times that we didn't identify a third sector by name. We never knew it was gonna have this kind of reaction, but that and as in my monthly chief reports, I did speak to the fact that we were able to take money from the prior year, mm -hmm. reserve it for this purpose, and that we were gonna be entering into a contract to do that. So it is something that I actually spoke about more mm -hmm. generically to address your concern. Mm -hmm. um, but I, and then by the spring actually was actually, I think probably by June at the latest identifying third sector by name. So it is something that I brought up over the course of time. Okay. Obviously the 2020 hindsight and me being new to this role can do mm -hmm. differently, but I want to push back on the idea that somehow we didn't talk at all about the fact that we were going to be able to do this because we did. Um, okay. And then the second thing I would note is that I, yeah. It, this commission has not had that practice in terms of contracts and, you know, I, 
do not defend it at all. It was the, it was a, uh, this was a practice I inherited and I continued until it became this issue. And I'm, like I said, absolutely willing to not do that. Well, it's more. been a willingness. It's, it's, let's make sure that we are in each of our capacities. Um, um, knowing what in, in fact should be, um. Well, within our jurisdiction, I'll leave it at that for the time being. The second part with regard to um, this particular agency, um, I want to separate that um, again, uh, just from the process. Uh, and again, what we are are charged to do in terms of oversight, et cetera, uh, from the editorial um, uh, realization of, of the agency, I actually, in, in hearing Commissioner Brocken's um, series of concerns, uh, I would have to say that um, many of those concerns would resonate with um, what I have heard from some members of the community that are participating, some CBOs. I haven't, I certainly wouldn't claim that I've heard the, the comprehensive um, um, issues in the way that Commissioner Brockett's have has, but um, just to um, uh, amplify that, that there are those concerns. Um, and I still might, uh, must say, and, and again, uh, not to, I don't want to personalize or anything, Mr. Benitez, um, but um, I'm still not really clear even with the, the chiefs um, and, and chief, you're clearly one of the most articulate people that I shall ever know or ever meet. And I, you know, I, I, I'm a, um, um, appreciate you in, in many regards. Um, but it seems as though, why would we have not then for this particular phase in terms of the how do we actually, what are the nuts and bolts of actually addressing all closure? Um, why not have extended that um, to the Burns Institute or folks that were already working on it? Why introduce sure. this third party? Um, and again, it wasn't until your, your comments a moment ago that I, was beginning to understand that that is the intent. Mm -hmm. Sure. And I just want to clarify, Commissioner, yeah. that the recommendations we're chewing on aren't specific to hall closure. So the I closed juvenile that. hall work group report has a lot of really important recommendations. Commissioner Brodkin already alluded to, right? Mm -hmm. it's like what is kind of a kind of a whole family care model and what is kind of a well-being team look like? Can, mm -hmm. have, can we have, you know, probation take a step back at that initial interaction with a young person, have community be that first kind of assessor of that young person? Mm -hmm. So the places that we've started by design here, what does that initial contact look like? Mm -hmm. Who develops a case plan and how does it look? How much of it is CBO? How much of it is system? And then how do you work together with that in new and different ways? Those are the three topics for these work groups, and they get at that idea of how do we differently engage with and support young people who may have had a contact with us. So they're not about the hall closure piece. And that's that, that, 
right. and then to your second question at the time that we were entering into this contract mm -hmm. uh, the both the burns institute and the national institute for criminal justice reform the two entities contracted to do this work mm -hmm. their rfp that qualified them for the city to enter into new contracts with them had both expired so they mm -hmm. actually weren't uh uh, accessible to us as an organization to contract with. Um, and, you know, and, and, and so for us, because we were very focused on wanting process assistance, frankly, more than subject matter assistance, because we consider the, the community members and the POs in that table to be the subject matter experts. We really were looking for that kind of content process support. And that's where we thought third sector was a good fit. But we could not so, have entered into a new contract at that time with Burns um, absent going through a new procurement process. Thank you for that. So it seems as though the arrival at third sector was um, based on your survey of other departments and entities and recommendations and it sort of led to third sector. You didn't go to a phone book and and obviously just sort of randomly select that, that we know. In fact, who uses a phone book anymore? But at any rate, it's not it's not random. Um, but there are other entities in the city and county of San Francisco that have in fact um worked with this outfit. They had been pre qualified, right? Through a competitive process. And as you know, that's the that is the mechanism that we need to use for to enter into a contract like that. That, yes. And so if we were to, um, we don't have an action item on this report today, is that correct? This isn't an action item, it's just discussion and presentation? Correct. And, um, You indicated that if the, the commission, um, upon further review or considering uh, Commissioner Brocken's um, series of concerns, um, if the commission decided that, wait a minute, let's pull back, this is not um, what is desired at this point, that what are the implications of that? Um, so my understanding at this point, so the funding has been encumbered to the contract, the funding what we are allowed to keep for this purpose. My understanding is that if we don't um, go forward with the contract, then we don't keep the funds for other purposes because they were prior year funds only permitted to be carried forward for this. So that's my understanding. Um, and then the second thing I would note is that, you know, just to clarify from what I said, the contract is in three phases. So phase one was complete, we're in phase two now. Um, and so what, uh, just in case I wasn't saying it clearly, what, what my ask would be of the commission is to let us get through this phase that we already are several meetings into, you know, with three working groups and these 20 people participating, 30 people participating, plus more. Um, you know, let us try to see this process through to some concrete recommendations and bring those to you. Have the conversation then about whether you feel like we were successful in actually getting some ground under us on implementing some of this new ways of working together. And I think if that's not satisfying, then we don't go forward with the next phase of kind of how they help us move toward like 
implementing and measuring. Um, but if we stop right now, then the then what we do lose is the process that's already underway right now. And that we, you know, and, and I will say that I, I totally hear that people have concerns about the process. I do want to talk about that more. And I don't want to diminish the fact that we have 15 CBO folks at those meetings and have chosen to participate in the meetings. And, and in my experience from my time in a couple of the meetings, but also from accounts I've heard participating and offering really important wisdom and having good, like productive conversation with probation staff. So I do see value in that. Um, I would like us to be able to continue this process that we're in. Well, I, I still like to hear from, just like um, the president request, I'd like to hear from Mr. Bernice too, because there were a lot of concerns that Commissioner Brodkin, you know, brought up. And I think since you are here, can you address what she was talking about? Like the president said, maybe we need to hear from you too. Do you mind? More than happy to do it. Um, I, I heard comments and opinions, not so much a question. Um, I'm happy to address those opinions one by one if you think it's a productive conversation. And just summarize it, you know. Okay. Briefly, so we don't have to spend too much time. Yeah, no problem. No problem. Um, so a couple, I guess a couple points. Um, number, I guess, number one, um, there was a point around profiting and working with philanthropy and social impact bonds. Um, the last, so to be clear, um, that is an effort that was undertaken as early as 2012 and i believe the last effort on on that front that we helped support would have been about three years ago and and, and what is a social impact bond this is ensuring that philanthropy and community-based financial institutions are able to pay for services that government wouldn't want to pay for at the very beginning of of, of service delivery. And it's really ensuring that philanthropy is pulling in the same direction as government. Um, what's through a process. Um, third sector is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. <laughs> um, and for people here that have their own consulting companies, their own consulting organizations, um, you know that there are very clear uh, pricing uh, guidance that's issued by the state of California, by the county, and also the federal government. And so third sector is an organization to, to suggest that um, there is an inflation of, of price. <laughs> um, you know, I, I would like to, to point that that is all in line with federal compliance and all uh, technical assistance providers, um, not just in the state of California, but throughout the country. Um, and I think it's, uh, I would like to say that comparing, I would say a technical assistance provider um, with cost reimbursement rates of the really important work that community-based organizations do um, is, is a comparison of apples to oranges, especially when technical assistance providers are funded by a department um, and when CBOs for the most part are funded by other departments. 
So I, I would like to, I guess, set that clear, I guess, for the record. And, and to be specific, JPD is funding our work. DCYF is not funding our work. Um, I think there was also a point um, about, I guess, my, my background or my experience and the experience of our staff. Um, I think that uh, we are as transparent as we can be in terms of the work we do in government. Uh, the majority of our staff members um, have spent uh, their careers either advising government or building the infrastructure that government wants to have so that they can better serve their beneficiaries. So if that means that we have staff that do a lot of data analysis, it's because it's hard to integrate workforce data with arrest data and housing data. Um, we do work with state longitudinal data systems. And oftentimes they say, we wanna work with the government agencies that will take our data and implement into policy. And when they can't find those partners, we help them do that and can share many examples to it. And data is only one like really concrete example that I think in the private sector is really, really valued. And unfortunately, I think that oftentimes our data systems in the public sector haven't been at that level. We try and kind of fix that gap. Um, and I think the same thing applies with regards to the conversations that take place. Um, I, I would like to say that the sentiment that are in our work groups, we'd love to see that as part of the day-to-day -day, like conversation of government that isn't adversarial, that isn't accusatory, um, but in fact, like truly wants to do the work, I would say that the chief described, which is how do we center the needs of youth and families in the day-to-day -day work of intake for the 200 something, 280, 300 youth that are under JPD supervision at any point. Um, I think it's a very real conversation to have and to facilitate that process. Um, and all of those priorities have been set forth by work group members and JPD staff. Um, we didn't necessarily come in with a manual and said, you need to do the following. Um, the process of facilitation um, is, valuable in of itself. Um, many departments choose to do that on their own, but when departments may be short-staffed or perhaps um, may not have the experience to do it, we try and build that capacity so that they do it on their own. Third sector should not exist as an organization um, because we expect government agencies to do the cross-agency work, yet every, every month, every quarter, in every government you know, jurisdiction in this country, you hear about the need to do the cross-agency collaborative work, looking at the very specific details and getting into action, um, which is really what we are trying to do. Now, I think people can opine on, I guess, how much value they put on facilitation, um, but I would like to invite many people to partake in that process um, and potentially join that conversation at a later point so that you can get a good understanding of what facilitation looks like and when facilitation is led by participants um, in this particular case the experts which is the CBO partners and and, and juvenile um, probation department staff um, I'll, I'll pause there perhaps um, we are more than happy to connect you all or anyone who's interested 
with any Bay Area governments that have worked with our teams um, and, and to get feedback in terms of understanding what happens, because oftentimes the process itself just takes time and it's, and it's patience. Um, if it feels that there's a leap of faith in doing this work, um, I would say that that may sound right. But where we like third sector typically find ourselves is after a lot of the documentation and guidance has been issued and a government agency comes to us and says, how can we implement this? And we like to do that with specificity, which is why, you know, uh, we have been very, very particular to not try and opine on legal matters. We're not trying to support um, or oppose any of the proposals that have been made. In fact, we're looking at what staff and practitioners want to focus on and then giving them the space to discuss that. Um, I, I don't think any of that is tied to um, profit um, or financing, especially when it's not in the scope of work, which has been very clearly displayed in the contract um, and that you all have access to. Um, so I think the, the there's a bit of a, a, I guess, a mixed bag of how we have helped other governments that may have been cash strapped um, and try and um, equate that to that is what we're doing here. That's not what we're doing. Um, and it's part of the reason why we showed why our work is focused on the program side of things um, and implementation. Um, and maybe that perhaps the last comment I'll make is that um, the process of, 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 of equity is one of participation and valuing what expertise everyone brings to the table without judgment. And that is precisely what we try and create the space for and hope that we are also afforded that opportunity too. So um, for us, we look forward to continuing with the process if that is what the, if that is what the department would choose to do. Um, and we fall back on our work for the last 10 years um, as perhaps an indicator of what can come of this. Will it feel gradual um, and incremental? Yes, because when it's compared to what the closed juvenile hall work group, mayor's rule ribbon panel, um, specifically focused on, those are legal matters that may or may not be in the full control of a case manager within JPD supervision, um, to be specific, right? So we are focusing on the, the small detail so that there are wins that can be achieved, and more importantly, that there are relationships that can be formed and maintained among JPD staff and case managers with community-based organizations. And it's at their priority. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So, um, uh, I'll, I'll leave it there. And again, I would love to have further conversation, um, specifically with Commissioner Brodkins, if you wish to do that, more than happy to do it. Um, we've kind of been an open book. Our work has been very transparent, um, especially with our government partners. And if you feel it's helpful to speak with many of our other partners, happy to do that too. We're, we're very proud of our work. Um, and really can look at kind of the results that have taken place in many of the communities that we've engaged, not just in the legal system, but also in workforce development um, with children and families, and then in the area of mental and behavioral health. Uh, can I jump in there? Hey, sure. this has been a very jubilating conversation. This is, has been 
um, a, a great conversation it has been for me and being kind of new and just my first commissioner um, um, position. And this is what I look for in a commission. And I just want to say to you, Commissioner Brockett, thank you, right, for being so detailed in what you do when it comes to what this commission should be as an oversight commission and what our role is as commissioners and what we should do. Um, and I don't think that, you know, for President Joe, I don't think that nothing was from Commissioner Brockett's point personal. It's our job, right, as to do this work and to make sure that the work that's being done is is for the young people that we are trying to help. Period. Right? You know, we I get it. everyone concerned. Commissioner Brockett raised a great point. It is this is, you know, I as you can see behind me, I sit on the shoulders of very strong people. Right? Um I I live and breathe the community. So, you know, everybody knows that this is what I do, right? Um, and I tell everyone, you know, when you, and I know Chief Miller knows that, you know, coming into this and we chose Chief Miller and we appreciate Chief Miller. And, you know, sometimes we, and I am one who, who has said myself, sometimes we, we make mistakes in this role that we take, right? And this is where we learn how the work happens and how the work goes, right? Um, you know, sometimes we, you know, we don't, we don't always make the decision that we should have made. It was like, okay, well, you know, that the urgency of everything that's going on around us right now is way past a focus group. I'm so tired of focus groups and, and facilitators. And, you know, it's just like, at the end of the day, like, Dan said earlier, I, I I know three young people that have been 14 years old, been shot out here because the city wasn't paying attention on who they moved into a certain areas in certain buildings because they remodeling, right? I have a 12 year old that just hung himself the, the, a week ago, 12 year old, find himself in the closet. So the urgency of everything that needs to happen in these communities is way past sitting in a focus group. And uh, if you got CBOs that sit in the focus group, right? And I know it has to be, you can't tell me it's okay because I've been in, I'll be, this is, you know, I find myself sometimes and it ain't even who I am. I come and sit at the, I sit at my desk and then I find myself on a computer. Either I'm in a meeting, I'm in a Zoom, I'm in, uh, you know, I got a revolving chair around here that I think is a mental kind of, you know, support for my community because when somebody get in, somebody get out because I am, I am the Yoda of the Western edition, you know, they, so they, they, you know, everybody, you know, kind of look and I play, I try to make sure that I, I do what's right by my, my folks, my, you know, my community and everything else. And I just be, you know, sometimes, you know, like we, we beyond, you know, we, and, and I get it 
Chief Miller. It's, 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 it's not, you know, you knew when you when you took this job, it was, you done been in meetings, you, you're getting beat up. And, you know, it's just what we get, right? I go to meetings, I, get, I don't care how much good work I do, I'm gonna get beat up, right? It, it's like, you know, I'm not gonna always make everybody happy. But I am gonna recognize and know that, you know, what I do, right, I do, what I think is best and right for my community, you know, and it's, it's just, you know, sometimes I just, you know, I, I might not, you know, had an opportunity to kind of engage folks, but then I learned from that, right? So we learn from this, Chief Miller, we learn from this. We say, okay, you know, before I do this, let me make sure I have these conversations and I'm not gonna really go into what it is, but I just want everybody to know, I, I appreciate this, right? I appreciate, this dialogue, I appreciate these conversations, right? And this is what we should do. And I think we are now, and Commissioner Shorter, we are now starting to become a body that has that has a voice, right? Because it went so long, and I'm not going to even talk about past what it was, you know, and the, you know, the the um, the department heads that came before Chief Miller, but it was, you know. Um, when I first came in, it was just like, wow, what is this? You know, like, you know, for real, this is how, you know, we we sit around in these meetings. We the one that make decisions on what happened in our communities. And, you know, we, you know, it, it, there's something's wrong there. So, you know, I um I understand that, you know, at the end of the day, um we just trying our best and we all have the same goals, right? We all trying to get the same thing done. But, you know, spending half a million dollars for a focus group is, you know, I, hey, look, I, you know, I got five, four families right here that need to be placed right now. So you can take that money and you guys as that organization can say, okay, well, we're going to, we, we'll do the focus group and we'll take the money that we get from this organization, from this, from your JPD and we're gonna spend it on these families. So Chief Miller, if you wanna know how to how they can do that, right? All they have to do is say, okay, well, you know what? Every CBO that come up in there, bring five kids, bring, bring five young people and we can get them a stipend to come sit in for them five hours. So they can do that on their end and say, hey, that happens to that funding. So every CBO y'all invite in, can bring five young people or 10 young people. And you know what? We can pay them young people to be up in here. Cause they, you know, you got them out. They they get stipends, right? And you 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 can do that. So it's like bringing the community into the the focus groups, right? But you know, I just like I appreciate you know this dialogue because it's just like you know with you know Commissioner Brockett. I you know I I love her. You know, I'm more of a kind of community. You know, go make it happen kind of guy, right? I do it right. Um, that's what I do. Commissioner Brock is more detailed and I, you know, it, it works for us, right? If we, you know, we can, we rate, we, that's how we function, right? Um, and, you know, it's just, she's right, 100%. I have to give her that. And, and you know, you, Mr. Benitez can sit there and say, you know, yeah, you know what, I, I'm a, you know what, you, you guys, I understand it's an urgency right now. You know, we talking about, you know, we talking about young people, that's in, you know, dire need of support, family support, um, you know, staying out of a system support, you know, all that, you know, so they shouldn't even have to, you know, 
and you know you don't even know how many focus groups and you know how many um data data slides i have seen on what everybody thinks should be happening and but if we don't get out there and do the work and make it happen and i hope you know some of the cbo's that's on this line is like you know what is i can't spend two hours i don't have five hours five i don't have five minutes in a day to come and sit into a focus group sometimes you know it's just like i just ain't got it in me i don't you know because i'm 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 missing the work something's happening in my community and i need to be there so um yeah but you know i just wanted you know to say that it is you know i don't know where you would go with this i think at the end of the day you know it is it with all these concerns with it you know it's you know um i think you guys think about you know if you if it, if it goes on you know like i said you know you you find a way to put that money back into the community and you know you use this this right here mr benitez and them if you know that's they they find a way to say you know what here we you know we we we, we believe in what we're doing then we're gonna give it back to you we're gonna give it back to the community we're gonna give it back to the young people and the families you bring up into these groups we're gonna give it back to them you give it to us we give it to them so that's you know that's one way you can do it you know it's it's always open for that you know but um, like i said this is the you know this is what we are here and this is the first time and you you chief is you know and commissioner brockett and you know just all the commissioners on the board is that's like this is what we're here for to have this dialogue to have some kind of understanding because everybody's coming from a different perspective right so i mean this is you know this is the most i've seen come in a long time out of this you know out of this committee on you know like how we should be kind of getting this done and i don't think joe uh commissioner uh i don't think it was a president it wasn't um it wasn't a, a attack on chief miller because i can i know chief i know but i don't be in the meetings but i know what goes on in the meetings ain't like my mama used to say ain't no secrets in the projects right so at the end you know i know chief miller been beat up way worse than this this is not part of that and this wasn't about chief miller this was more about the decision that was made and what came out of it and it's like you know we didn't get a you didn't, didn't a lot come out of you know that and you know we and right now we in such dire need of so much other resources that need to come into these communities and are going to these families that it's just you know it's no time to sit around and pay somebody that much money to sit into a focus group and say you know because everywhere you look it's a focus group I mean, you can go and you can find a focus group. You can put, you know, and it, you're right. You know, you need somebody to facilitate a focus group. But, you know, what we need to do is make sure we have some impact in our communities right now and not just be sitting at the table. And I know it all started there, but your dialogue and your data and all that stuff is the same conversation we've been having for the last 20 years. So, I mean, at, at some point, you know, we do have to kind of take our resources and put them back into our community and stop, you know, um, saying that, you know, we, we, we've been talking about it or we don't put it on a shelf and all that. Because I think, you know, for overall, you know, even with all that's going on in, in, in the community and in the, you know, and with our young people and, you know, I don't know, it's like I always tell everybody, I don't have the answer to everything. I, I don't know every young person in San Francisco, but I think at the end of the day, you know, we need to make sure that, you know, we're doing our best, you know, as 
adults and as you know commissioners and as um cbo's and and as you know probation officers we're doing our best to do to make it right for our young people so i don't think that you know anybody was trying to do anything to attack the chief i think the chief is you know been like okay you know i've been that this is i i think she got it joe uh but um like this is what we are. This is who we are, and this is what we should be doing, you all. You know, I don't want to take up no more time. I'll see you right now. But this is the best we. You know, this is this is what this is what this commission is supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be having these dialogues. We're supposed to be having these conversations. And Commissioner Broccoli is right. You have the right to disagree. You know, but sometimes you know it's just like you know I have to admit sometimes when you know, hey, if she's doing her homework and I haven't really read the report myself as much as I should have, but, you know, she read the report and what she has is legitimate because I have had heard that, you know, the focus groups are not, you know, what people wanted to do, you know? So um, moving forward, I think we, we, you know, we we just start trying to think better as we move forward. And I think the best thing we can do is when we think about money and, how we want to spend it is always good to have four or five opinions are you know and there's always other organizations in here that that work have been working with young people especially in san francisco like commissioner shorter said it is so many organizations in san francisco that works that facilitates you know young people especially um people of color so you know i, I appreciate yeah. I appreciate the shout out. I just want to clarify. Um, I um, I didn't say that, but that's a very smart thing to say. So thank you for crediting me with that. But I do want to, and I'm sorry. I have a I I have a, a need to. Um, I'm hoping that we can move the agenda along. Yeah, exactly. um, but um, I just wanted to just go back to a point of clarification in terms of what Commissioner Spangola is sharing in terms of the funds okay the funds um chief were prescriptive right is that correct and so there are parameters um regarding maybe how uh what did you say that were racial justice or racial uh, right so thanks thank you um so two things one just to clarify um commissioner spangola uh just though when you were talking about focus groups that these at this point, this is not what these are. These are actually like work groups trying to actually change the experience, right? That our young people have when they interact with us, like actually changing our practices. So we're past that kind of focus group phase. And I agree with you that we have all spent a lot of time in focus groups. I'm with you. Commissioner Shorter, but that's not where we are at this point in this process. Commissioner Shorter, to uh, your question, so departments in the summer of 2020, when the city was launching its Office of Racial Equity and every city department had to identify both kind of our internal facing plan for race equity and then uh, and then ultimately think about how we wanted to improve the work we do in a more racially equitable way. Departments were given the opportunity to keep some unspent funding from their prior year and put it toward work to improve their work in a racially equitable way. So that's why, and, but it had to be approved. You had to pitch it to the controller's office. Um, right. I guess the mayor's budget office made to approve how you were saying you were gonna use it. Um, and so our pitch was that we were gonna be engaging um, a, a, this kind of assistance to help 
probation and our community partners figure out a new way to do work with our young people to improve racial equity. So that's what was approved. Um, so I, uh, so I would add to that that I don't believe what we could do right now with this money, what Commissioner Spingola is suggesting, right, which is turn around and invest it directly in young people and families, which I also agree we should be doing with some of our money. Um, more on, even later in tonight's uh, agenda, <laughs> but but with this money, it was approved for this purpose. So I don't know that any shift in it at this point would my my understanding is would make it just go back into the general fund. Correct. No, um, I have been involved in the process for the racial uh, justice or racial equity um, um, planning for each department, um, and so I just really um, wanted to clarify that it's you can't um, th those funds were quite for a specific um, purpose or this particular initiative and could not be converted into um, sort of other um, use of the funds for direct services correct that's my understanding but okay. I mean, because it was approved for, we were allowed to make our best pitch to keep the money for that purpose, and then it was approved for what we made the pitch for, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, commissioners. Um, I just want to make a quick sure. comment. You know, I sincerely agree with what most of you, most of the commissioner was saying. I just want to make sure, I mean, it's a very healthy discussion and I sincerely agree. I've been on several commissions for, for many, many years. I know I worked for a commission for almost 26 years. I just never come across this kind of issue that, you know, I mean, the dialogue again, very healthy, but um, I think it's kind of getting to the point that, you know, we have to make sure we're doing the right thing and I'm so happy that the Syria attorney is with us, you know, John, maybe she can guide. I just want to make sure we don't do anything that is not what we're supposed to be doing. So that's my concern. And um, so again, I, I sincerely agree with what other commissioner was saying. And I, I understand what you're saying too, Commissioner Bracken. You're very vigilant, you know, you've done your homework. I want to make sure we are doing the right thing to make sure that you know we are not stepping into anything. And I'm you know hoping that John can guide us in case we're doing anything wrong. Thank you, Commissioner Moses. Um, and just because uh, you know, I know I've been addressed by several of the commissioners. Um, I just wanted to say, you know, um, perhaps we can you know put a period on this uh, agenda item. Is you know, it seems to me that the department. Uh, moving forward has a lot of work ahead of it. Uh, it has to implement these recommendations. It has to uh, juggle the daily operations of uh, a department at a time when I think we can all agree that uh, violence across the city, uh, especially in the southeast part of the city, is on the rise, sadly. Um, and we need to basically juggle many different things at, at all at once. Um, we know that the department has been shrinking by design because that's obviously our charge. But we also know that we've just been losing people because they know that the department is going to shift. And so the chief working with limited resources 
made the decision in this case to seek help. And I think what I was trying to relay in my uh, original remarks was that there was a uh, uh, implication, I think, by the remarks of Commissioner Brodkin, um, which again are, are, are her view, and I'm not um, making them. Uh, you know, she's obviously free to to have her view. I think it was more just that, you know, as we heard from Mr. Benitez, it sounds like this is a 501c3 entity, so there is not a kind of corporate. Uh, you know, we're not in contracting with Goldman Sachs uh, is kind of the point that I think I was trying to make. Um, and I think that I appreciated that clarity, but I think we just, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Uh, the chief has limited resources. She can only be in 10 places at once. And we're asking her to be in 20. Um, and I think that the one thing that I really appreciate uh, out of this dialogue, which was brought to my attention by commissioner Brodkin is in my now 11 plus years on this commission, we've have never approved contracts and we've never had a discussion about contracts. And I think that moving forward, we need to have that discussion to see what our role is. And to Commissioner Moses's point about the city attorney, um, you know, I think that it would be helpful uh, perhaps to uh, Deputy City Attorney Clark to perhaps just address from her uh, research or background why that is, uh, why we have not exercised that power, uh, since it seems like we do have that, um, and perhaps to address some of the um, proposals that Commissioner Brodkin made about consent calendars and so forth. These are things that we have just simply never done. And so I think that, you know, the chief made the point that she went through the process that she knew. And so I think that we can't castigate her for seeking assistance uh, from outside help because she needs it going through the process that she knows. Um, and, and then saying that we didn't exercise our power as a commission to, uh, oversee the contract or vote on the contract. Um, because I think that she was just working with the process that we had in front of us. So moving forward, obviously we can change that if we want to, as a commission. We not only can change that if I might, it is absolutely essential as a commission we are sworn commissioners this is a chartered commission is that correct okay so we're not an advisory body we're right. an advisory board we are a commission and so i'm i am i am actually with great urgency recommending that at our next um meeting we will get to agenda items but i just want to um, jump ahead a bit that we do have clarification from the city attorney in terms of what our, um, our relationship is as a commission to this is has nothing to do with with the chief. I'm, I understand that this was the way of things and has been the way of things for apparently some time. But I am quite alarmed. As a sitting commissioner that this has been the practice for apparently over a decade. I'm not castigating, I'm not I'm just saying that moving forward, it is, at least I can speak for myself, it is with great urgency, not having to do with the chief, not having to do with anyone specific, but as a commissioner, I need to know and understand how this commission has functioned um, without having um, and there, you know, that kind of, of 
of uh, without exercising um, that type of, of, of action. So if I might, President Arano, the, let's please make sure that we have that on our next agenda. Absolutely, yeah, and we've we've already discussed that. Um, so we'll address that in January. I, I just want to make the point that um, it's well. I'll just I'll just perhaps we can hear from Deputy City Attorney Clark. I know we have you here. Um, perhaps Deputy City Attorney, could you just elaborate on the the exact role that the commission plays on this, um, and perhaps if you have any insight as to why it hasn't been exercised. When I inherited the commission, this was your practice not to review contracts and grants. It's the way you've done it for a long time. It's not it's not legally required. Your rules say that you were, but there are other things in your rules you don't do also. I've, I think I've said a few times, and you guys always have so much on your plate, but it'd probably be a good idea to revamp your rules. You wouldn't need to do that to start approving the contracts and grants. It's not your approval is not required for a contract to be legally enforceable. Um, but you can certainly, you can certainly make it a part of your process. There's nothing that prevents that. Um, I don't know about a, I don't know if a consent calendar would work. I have to. I think I mentioned whoever asked me about this, and I don't remember who it was. Um, I don't know how a consent calendar works. I would have to look into that. I think that's usually when there's a committee that first considers something, but I'm just not sure. Um, but I can look into that. And let you know. I can send an email to the secretary, and she could forward it to the rest of you with what I learned about a consent calendar. Um, but like I said, you don't have to change your rules with respect to contracts and grants because it already says that you'll approve them. Um, yeah, so, and you could also as a commission decide you want to terminate a contract and you, what you would do then is you would direct the chief to terminate a contract. That's how it would work. Just like all your other directions that have to go to the chief. Um, but if, for whatever it's worth, if the chief did not terminate the contract, it wouldn't then make the contract, un it would still be a, an enforceable legal contract is my understanding. So. So that's, that's interesting. So are you saying essentially that we have the power in our bylaws to uh, approve or vote down contracts, but if the chief were to continue the contract that we wouldn't have any recourse to terminate the contract. Your recourse would be to to remove the chief. That would be your recourse. I see. And that's for every, that's for everything. Um, you know, if you, I don't know, I don't want to make something up off the top of my head, but if you directed her to, you know, only use blue toilet paper and then she used red, you know, and you were unhappy, your recourse would be to remove her. Jana. Yeah. I think if we amended our bylaws and mm -hmm. put it in our bylaws that we approve, say, contracts over a certain amount of money or whatever, that maybe that might change things. Can you check that? What which part? What do you mean? If we if it is it says in our bylaws that the commission, one of the functions of the commission must be to approve contracts say over a hundred thousand dollars or whatever it might mm -hmm. say um would would that change your uh conclusion that there was nothing we could do short of firing the chief no, I if we didn't like a, if we didn't like a contract 
No, my understanding is it would still your recourse would be the same. You give direct it, in all instances, you give direction to the chief and then if she doesn't do what you want her to do, then my understanding is that's your recourse. Can you check that what, you know, if our bylaws required approval of a contract. Uh, could the chief then enter into a contract without our approval? Yeah, I already did check that. So that's what I'm telling you is what I've already checked. If you want me to check again, I'll be happy to check again. No, that she can enter into a contract, even if it says in our bylaws that this is a function of the commission, she can still do it. I'm happy to look into it. Okay. Thank you, uh, Deputy City Attorney Clark. Um, and then Lastly, I'll just say, in my experience, having worked in government, I know Commissioner Brodkin as well as department head uh, for many years that we worked alongside each other. Um, it, it just seems to me that, you know, I've heard a lot from the commissioners tonight about how we want to move quickly. And we obviously have many things that we need to move forward on. In my experience, personally, adding another layer of bureaucracy is not necessarily the greatest thing to do uh, when we're trying to move expeditiously through a lot of different moving parts. But that being said, I am interested in exploring this idea about contracts, perhaps above a certain dollar amount, because I think uh, I was never alerted or aware of the fact that we did have this power. Um, and I think it's interesting that we explore it and figure out what we should play in this role. I feel like if there is a way for us to do it where we are not obviously going through and, and approving small contracts um, that you know don't need to come before us, I would be on board with that. And if we could just agree perhaps um, when we discuss this uh, in January on a certain level um, that we're all comfortable with, I think that'd be great. But um, I do think that that has been um, something that has never been a part of the commission. That's why I was never aware of it, but it is interesting to explore it. And I uh, appreciate Commissioner Brodkin bringing that to the attention. So um, I think uh, to echo my fellow commissioners, this has been a uh, spirited discussion. Um, and I think that um, we all have the same goals in mind, which is obviously the transformation of the juvenile justice system in San Francisco in a way that um, fits the charge that has been laid forth before the department, this commission and all the other CBOs and um, and, and number one, the youth that um, are ultimately going to be um, affected by this. So I just wanna thank all of my commissioners as well as the um, department, Chief Miller and Mr. Benitez for coming tonight um, and um, obviously to be continued, um, but I do appreciate everyone's uh, forceful and uh, fierce advocacy on this agenda item. So with that, um, if the chief and Mr. Bedinas don't have any other remarks, we'll go ahead and move to public comment. We have one person in the queue. Oh, and before we take that individual, I just want to remind uh, the public to raise their hand by pressing star three, star three again to raise your hand. Uh, please uh, go ahead. Hi, this is Dan McElair, and uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to present. Uh, I don't want to belabor it too much. I think that there's been a lot said here tonight, and I concur. I have to tell you, I concur with the statements of Commissioner Brodkin, Spagnola, um, 
and uh, and and shorter. Uh, and I, I understand why the department entered into a contract like this, given the fact that we've gone through now two years of public meetings, uh, you know, uh, uh, commi appointed commissions, uh, which I have been a part of all of them. And we have just issued a report. The city has just issued a report uh, that re from the uh, closed juvenile hall commission uh, laying out a plan, a blueprint on how to move forward, how the city sh should move forward. This is where we need the expertise to really come in and take us to the next step. I'm sorry to say as a participant in these meetings, and I've heard Mr. Benitez's uh, presentation, it does not reflect uh, what is actually happening. They do not have the expertise to carry this process, in my opinion, to the next step. Uh, I think that what Commissioner Shorter brought up about continuing the Burns Institute contract would have made immense sense. They they were involved in it from the beginning. They're competent. We know them. Uh, they understand the field. Uh, and we they would have been someone, I think, that could have taken it to the next step. Um, I would urge, I, you know, we heard a lot of things about the community participation and the participation of CBOs. I think it's, I, I think I would encourage uh, commissioners and I also, I know, uh, uh, Katie, uh, the JJPA has extended an invitation to the next meeting. I think you need to come and hear from the JJPA about the sentiment regarding this process. It is not, it is not favorable. People are uh, outraged about it. Having to show up at other, at, 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 a, at a meeting where the people who are running it have no expertise in the field, and it's 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 not good. And I, you know, I showed up at the first meeting, and it was a discussion about the causes of delinquency. And you had, you know, you had two probation officers in the room with over forty years' experience in the field. We had members from the community-based organizations, and I said, "Wait a minute." You know, we got to stop this right now. This is this is not the discussion we should be having. Um, it, it was an It was starting at a very elementary basis, and I understand they don't have the background in the field. They have to develop it, and they have to ask questions of us, the people who are participating, in order to develop the expertise to write their to write a report. But this is not the way we. This was not the way to go about this. I've been doing this for thirty five years. I see good. You know, good. I've seen good facilitators. I've seen experts in the field who can come in and move a process forward. I don't think this was a good choice, and I understand why it was done, and I and I appreciate it. But also for a for a half a million dollars for a process like that, I got to tell you, I'm a consultant. And I do consultant work. Five hundred thousand dollars is a big contract. Uh, so that is not market rate. Now, maybe in some sectors it's market rate, but not not uh, among those in the nonprofit world. So I, 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 what I would ask is to get uh, another perspective on this: is come to the next JJPA meeting. I think that they can extend. We can extend an invite. I think an invite has been extended, and I also encourage uh, commissioners to come as well and kind of get another kind of get another another perspective. But um, Anyways, I'll, I'll I'll leave it at there at, at night I, to, for tonight. I think I don't want to belabor it, but uh, uh, I would urge that you consider 
canceling the contract and looking at looking at another option. Thank you. This is not an action item, right? Is it? It is not. Okay. Uh, is there other members of the public that would like to speak? Or no other public comments? I'm sorry, you broke up. No other or one more? Uh, sorry, no other public comments. Understood. Um, well, thank you again to the department, Mr. Benitez and uh, my fellow commissioners for the discussion. Uh, we'll now close item number seven and move to item number eight, uh, the chief's report. Okay, we are gonna do a very quick uh, monthly data report tonight. I think looking at like three slides in the interest of time, and I'm gonna kick it over to Selena Cuevas. She will take care of that tonight. Thank you, Selena. Can she have, do you have the control? Um, Can Selena have the, yeah, you do. You have the power. Okay, great. Thank you, Chief Miller. Um, yes. Can everyone see my screen? Yes. Okay. All right. Great. Uh, so, as Chief Miller mentioned, I'm going to briefly cover um, just a couple of slides from the monthly data report. If anyone has any questions on any slides that I don't go over? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to, to interrupt you, Selena, but we didn't go back to Mr. Bell for item five. Oh. So, uh, President Ariano, before we continue, I'm so sorry, Selena. It's okay. I'll stop sharing. I would say the good news about our last discussion is that it enabled uh, James Bell to make it from Fresno to Pleasanton. So, he is probably in better uh, reception now. So, he is still here with us, and I want to make sure he has the opportunity to do that agenda item. I'm sorry. No, no, Chief, I appreciate that. I It was in the back of my mind. I did not know if it was going to be feasible. So, uh, Mr. Bell, if you are on the line um, and you would like to present uh, on the closed juvenile hall work group, we would love to hear your uh, brief update. Um, can you all hear me? Loud and clear. Good to, good to hear. Um, I am going to be very quick um, and respond more to questions than to presentation. I was asked to give a brief summary of the closed juvenile hall report. Um, I want to thank the commission um, for inviting us to do that. Um, my name is James Bell and I'm the founding president of the Haywood Burns Institute. And I was one of the consultants that was um, asked to um, guide the process in 2019 of um, moving the legislation that the Board of Supervisors passed by ordinance um, to close the juvenile hall um, with a um, with non-institutional rehabilitative facility and to expand community alternatives to be able to um, meet that goal. The other consultant that worked on the non-institutional rehabilitative um, facility place of detention was David Mohammed, and I would invite you to be in touch with him 
if my um, report is inadequate in that regard. So I've just spoken substantively about the two things that the legislation required. I want to move to the process and structure. Once that was set in place in 2019, we were confronted with COVID very early in 2020. And everything that we've done over the last two years in this process that included around 120 people was done virtually. And so there was two things that I wanna just say about the structure is that one, the board did not give us the power to make decisions about what should happen. What we did was go through a process and give them a series of recommendations that we thought that we'd hope that they take seriously and that they then would go through a process as Chief Miller intimated earlier, not intimated, but said directly earlier, the implementation of our report is what the Board of Supervisors now has the power to do. Um, and the, the Youth Justice, the Closed Juvenile Hall Work Group um, is now um, basically finished with its tasks by submitting the report. And the other structural piece that I would say is, is that when we began to look at what it is that needed to change in order to comply with the legislation, we encountered structural impediments that we felt needed to be addressed in order to give decent recommendations. And it is those structural impediments that our recommendations, suggestions, and ideas go to dismantle, of which we've talked about some, Commissioner Brodkin read off some of them, assessments, flexible funding, um, how it is cross-sector that you can do um, um, communication with each other. So I won't go any further into that because it's 8.30 at night, and um, I know that there's only so much that the brain can handle. Um, I would recommend that if you don't want to read all 88 pages of the report, that there is an executive summary at the beginning of the report that's about seven pages that will give you a flavor of what we've talked about. And the last thing I will say before opening it up to questions is we've walked through because of the structural impediments that we heard from the community-based providers and that we heard from families and people directly impacted by the um, youth justice apparatus, that we needed to make these kinds of changes. So we've reimagined doing things very differently um, in line with the two mandates of the legislation. So we have reimagined a process that is not in place now. And what we have suggested is that it's going to take some time to come up with the details of some of those things. We have participated in details of those things in other jurisdictions. Um, so we know that they are possible, but not easy. And so with that, I will leave it um, because as I said, the brain can only absorb so much information and you guys have been going at it since 5.30. So I will um, stop.
and answer any particular questions rather than continue to prattle on and tell you maybe things that you're not interested in. So thank you, Chief Miller. Thank you, Commission, for um, allowing us to present. Um, and I turn it back over to the chair. Um, if, if in fact there are any questions for me and, and also um, make the offer that if you want a more comprehensive presentation or you need more time, uh, we are always willing um, to talk to you because you're such an important body. Um, and I, am, I apologize that I could not make the meeting by Zoom and I had to be in the car because of a family matter. So I'll turn it back over. Thank you, Mr. Bell. Uh, we appreciate you uh, while in transit, taking the time to address the commission. I know that um, the closed juvenile hall work group report has been top of mind for all of us um, for uh, several months now, and we anticipate and look forward to the presentation. I, my only question perhaps is perhaps the mechanics of it moving forward in terms of um, how the process will play out, just what steps need to be taken vis-a-vis -vis the Board of Supervisors um, and other hearings that may be taking place around this before we actually have a final report um, that will be codified uh, and uh, able to be implemented. So that is above my pay grade. I have no idea with commit with the Board of Supervisors, the three major board uh, members are Commissioner, our Supervisors Haney, Supervisors Ronan, and, Supervi and President Walton. Um, and um, uh, it may be that members of the commission know better than I have, but I have not heard one word from uh, the powers that be as to how they plan to proceed. But as for our purposes, at um, with the closed juvenile hall work group, we have submitted the report. And um, as far as we're concerned at the Burns Institute um, and NICJR, our task is done. I see, okay. Um, so uh, I'll uh, pause there and um, other commissioners, uh, are there any questions or comments for Mr. Bell? I have comments, not really a question. Since this is an important item, I will really suggest that we table this that you know, we'd like to see Mr. Bell come back to our next meeting so we can have question and answer for him because this is very important. You know, that will give us more plenty of time to digest it. Then we spend some time to ask him any, you know, have question, I'm sure he'll be able to explain to us. So that's my suggestion. Let's, um, let's table it and ask him to come back again. Commissioner, are you proposing perhaps? I'm uh, more like than that? happy to, more than happy to. Yeah, I'm proposing that, yes. Uh, I was just gonna say, Commissioner, are you proposing more like a, like a high level executive summary of what's in the 80 page report? Exactly, exactly. So you can, uh, you know, paraphrase it for us and then there will be question and answer, we'll get used to it, you know, and find out, you know, then you'll be able to explain to us. I don't know the timeline, but you know, maybe we can devote the whole of the next commission meeting for it. So if it's very urgent, but this is an important item that we need to take care of. I agree with Commissioner uh, Moses and 
Um, James, glad to hear you. Glad to hear that you're safe and uh, was able to 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 chime in. I would like to uh, um, second. It's not a formal motion, but uh, what Commissioner Moses has has proposed. Um, I have in fact read um, all eighty something pages. Yeah. I'm very busy, uh, but this is a uh, a priority. I want to honor the work that was done and definitely have read through it read through it in fact have read through it about three times now so you can expect that at your um next visit with us that um i i certainly have some comments and and questions and just points of clarification so thank you for being here and we'll hopefully see you next time thank you for taking the time to read it I just wanted to share the little bit I knew know, which is that the Board of Supervisors will take this up in January, send it to the committee that uh, Supervisor Ronan chairs, and uh, then it will be open for discussion and comment. I know, having sort of been part of this for two years, uh, I think it's a great report. I, on a, as an individual, will go and say, Please endorse this uh, and have your committee uh, on a regular basis uh, review what each department, there are about eight departments implicated in this, uh, will do to see that this is implemented. And the other thing I feel is needed, I, 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 we have to figure out what role our, our commission has and our department has since it's the most important department in some ways in terms of implementation. And I am sort of considering a recommendation myself as a individual to see if the mayor may want to appoint something like a special master, which is done in situations like this, whose job it would be to sort of oversee the implementation. So, that's where I'm coming from and know that there will be no action on it until January. Thank you for the uh, clarification uh, about next steps, Commissioner Brodkin. Uh, that's very helpful. And I agree with you. I think that we need to figure out what our roles, uh, what our role as a commission is for this, um, because obviously it's, it seems as though uh, this commission will be uh, this commission and the department will be obviously tasked with implementing many, if not all, uh, or most of the recommendations that are outlined in it. So, um, obviously, I don't know if we have to approve it or what our role is would be what our role would be in that. But um, I think we need to figure that out because um, ultimately we're going to be the ones that are going to be overseeing this as it takes shape. So I completely agree with you. I have a question for Commissioner Bradkin. He said the Board of Supervisors will meet in January. Do you know what part of January will be? Because our meeting is second, second ways of every month, right? Is that after us or before us? Well, I'm just going to look it up now to see which committee yeah. Supervisor Ronan chairs, because yeah. I think it will be sent first to that committee. I see. And I, it might be community services. Oh, sorry, Commissioner, it's youth, young adults, and families, I think. What'd you say? I think it's youth, young adults, and families. I think there's a committee of the Board of Supervisors. It's a, yeah, it's a new committee. 
It meets okay. once a month. Okay. And you we'll look at their website. Yeah. So whenever their first meeting is in January, right. that would be when the first discussion would be. I think we can look it up now. It's probably on the website. Well, based on your experience, Commissioner, do you know what role we're supposed to play with this? Does it come to us before it goes to them? Well, I we think we're, we're on, we're in territory no one knows. I so I feel that's why I want to have a retreat and I want to propose that one of the agenda items on the retreat be a discussion of what our role needs to be vis-a-vis -vis this report. Um, and what kind of structure we need to set in place to fulfill They are meeting in December, but in January, I don't know whether we can have time for the treat and, you know, go. I'm going to propose, well, it's on the agenda. I see. Yeah. Okay. Alrighty. Well. Commissioner Spingola, uh, do you have any uh, questions or comments for Mr. Bell? Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Mr. Bell, I'm, I'm happy you made it home, Mr. Bell. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting to the bridge. I'm getting to the bridge. Yes, sir. No, I'm good. Thanks. Are there any other questions or comments for uh, Mr. Bell about the closed juvenile hall work group update he's provided? You don't think we have the opportunity to have him back before the board of supervisors talk about it? Is that, is that what I'm hearing? I think it's unclear, uh, Commissioner. I think we're going to have to look up the dates that the hearings will take place. Look at uh, against us, right? I'm looking it up. I'm looking at it now that the Youth, Young Adult, and Families Committee will have its first meeting probably. It says the second Friday of the month at 10 a.m. Second, okay. So that would effectively be after us then uh, in January. Right, okay. I think, I don't know, obviously the calendar is always a moving target uh, in terms of when the days take place. Um, why don't we, uh, perhaps Ms. Silveray, can you um, perhaps reach out to, uh, Chief Miller, who do you think is the appropriate, uh, I guess it would be the committee chair to figure out the dates uh, for all these? Sure, so they, it's, uh, so the committee chair is, uh, is Supervisor Ronan. Um, the committee members, I believe, are Supervisors Ronan, Melgar, and Safai. And uh, I know this because I'm going to present to them on Friday, which you will hear about in my Chief's report. Um, but uh, it only meets once a month. And my understanding is that the board will hear the full set of recommendations, hear public comment on the full set of recommendations, um, and then also have some meetings with labor about the impacts of the recommendations on labor, and then select kind of the subset of recommendations they want to move forward on, and then hear a second round of hearings on those. That's the last information I was given by the board about this process. Understood. So it sounds like we will hear this this item. Um, I guess it would be at the February meeting, um, and 
we will just maybe if you could chief relay to us any kind of intel that you've heard up to that point in your january chiefs report um obviously it will be premature but if there's anything that you are hearing um that could be helpful to the discussion taking place here that'd be great but um, it sounds like we'll have to wait until at least february before we can um hear more on this after including the board of supervisors input sure just for clarity, that committee meet the, the second Friday of every month, right? That would be okay. And we meet the second Wednesday of every month. So why can't we meet before then? Why can't we? Why, I just like to see us to discuss it, you know, question and answer with, with Mr. Bell. You know, I think, I think it makes sense to look into that. Don't you think? Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, no, I think we can have uh, Mr. Bell come and, and, as you said, present uh, an executive summary, uh, perhaps of the uh, 80 plus page report to the uh, commission. I, I think in terms of just uh, the Board of Supervisors was more my comment when we will have uh, approval uh, and then also any kind of other, I guess, because I guess, Chief, is it accurate to say that after the committee meeting does the board have the opportunity to then amend or take action to change the report at all or is it just uh, simply adoption so the report and i'll look to um to james to correct me on this but the report is designed to be a set of recommendations so it's not like one concrete plan it wasn't voted on right these are kind of the the set of recommendations many of which are consistent with each other some of which may actually be a little bit different from each other right that they're laying that they're laying before the board so the board can then go ahead and say these are the things we want to lift up from this report from this menu and kind of move forward on so it's not about amending the report they will receive the report and then they will decide which things in it they want to advance so james correct me if i got that wrong no that's exactly right and in some of the report um there are polar opposite um, um, findings about different things in there. And the reason that we didn't have a conversation about it, but they did not give us the authority to be able to make decisions. And so what we decided to do is to put everything before them because they were very clear that they were gonna be the decision makers. And so we wanted them to have all points of view in front of them. And as Commissioner Brodkin says, since they're gonna be public hearings, they're gonna get all points of view probably again in the public, in however they do the public hearings. But our job was to give ideas and suggestions um, um, in that way. And in some, and in some instances, there was no consensus and there was no voting. And so we present um, what we've heard um, and what we know from our experience, but um, not as mandates to be amended. Understood. That's helpful. Um, so I think uh, obviously before we open up for public comment, it sounds like uh, Commissioner Moses, uh, we will work with Ms. Silver Ray to um, see if we can have Mr. Bell present 
um, an executive summary of the report uh, as it's currently drafted and finalized uh, at the January meeting uh, in so that we can have more of the detail uh, just broadly. And then uh, we'll aim to um, perhaps in the timeframe between January and February, figure out Commissioner Brodkin, to your point, what our role is in this um, and what role we can take actively as a commission to implement um, the, and just effectively uh, address this report. Um, and uh, we'll take that up in February after the board has obviously heard from the public, made their, um, you know, uh, accepted whatever aspects of it that they'd like to accept uh, and then go from there. Does that make sense? Thanks, Tom. Great. Great. Um, okay, well, if you can- And if uh, I might, I'm sorry, Chair, if, if, I, if, if I might, Chair, I just wanna say that the board should not, does not have the power to amend the report. They just have the, the power to decide what they wanna do with the report. Right. Uh, so when you say uh, power to do, uh, is it, so it's essentially effectively a, a set of recommendations. They can obviously, uh, as you said, there's some polar opposite. They can effectively choose to take item A and then not take item B um, and move forward with that. And that's ultimately how it will work. But they can effectively say, we're going to add uh, X policy to this report. That's my understanding. Wait a minute. They could add anything. They, I mean, they can say we love twenty of these thirty-nine recommendations, and we have three more we want to stick in there based on, you know, our own opinions and testimony that we've heard. But basically, they're not changing the report per se. They are sort of saying these are the recommendations that we want to see the city move forward with, and they can have things that aren't in the report. That's they want to do. Right, right. Uh, so if you can hang with us, Mr. Bell, we're just going to uh, do public comment. Uh, if there is uh, public comment at this time, uh, if we can go ahead and have members of the public press star three uh, to raise your hand and be added to the public comment line uh, for Mr. Bell on item number five. We have one public comment. Thank you. Yeah, hi, it's Dan McLear again. Uh, stayed late tonight. I just want to say, uh, James, nice job on this. And uh, uh, hopefully we'll make it happen. Thank you. Again, star three to raise your hand. Are there other members of the public that would like to uh, speak on item number five about the closed juvenile hall work group report. There is no further public comment. Thank you, uh, Mr. Bell. We appreciate you hanging with us for several hours. Uh, we, you uh, treated our commission meeting tonight as your audible, and so we thank you for that. Um, but um, we look forward to your presentation in January, and we all appreciate the work that you have uh, undertaken and done so well for uh, the juveniles uh, in San Francisco and for the department in the city and county of San Francisco. So thank you so much and please have a safe rest of your drive home tonight.
and thank you and I wish you all the best in the decisions and what you have coming before you. So thank you once again. Thank you. So now we'll go ahead and take item eight again, uh, the chief's report. And I believe we were going to hear from uh, Selena Cuevas from the department. Yes. yes. Thank you. Thank Selena. you. Thank you, Chief Miller. Thank you, President Ariano. Let me share my screen again. Okay. I promise I will be very brief, focusing mainly on um, highlighting slides related to juvenile hall, as that is highly relevant to the discussions tonight. Um, so, starting off with slide number three, the juvenile hall snapshot as it relates to demographics. Um, so, on Monday, uh, December 6th, this past Monday, there were 14 young people in juvenile hall. Um, all but one of them were boys. 50% were black youth, 22% were Latinx youth, 14% were AAPI youth, and 14% were youth of another race or ethnicity. As for the age breakdown, it was split 50-50 between young people who were age 18 and older and young people under the age of 18. There was one 12-year-old in juvenile hall, one 15-year-old, one 16-year-old, four 17-year-olds, six 18-year-olds and one 19-year-old. Um, as it relates to out-of-home placement and juvenile hall commitment status, 29% were pending adjudication, 14% pending disposition, 7% were pending placement, 7% committed to juvenile hall, and 43% were non-out-of-home placement youth. So, um, a much smaller percentage of non-out-of-home placement youth than we're used to seeing on these snapshots. Um, I also wanna go over the charges for which young people are currently detained in juvenile hall. We do have 29% of young people detained on a homicide charge, 43% um, detained related to another 707B offense, and 29% um, detained due to a firearm offense. Moving on to slide six. So admissions, releases, and average daily population over time. Um, here I'm gonna highlight October and November. So in October, um, the month that's covered in the bulk of this report, there were six admissions to juvenile halls. So this is the lowest that we've seen through the study period starting in January, 2020. I don't know how far back this goes, but six is very low um, in comparison to what, so what we're used to seeing, um, five of those admissions were mandatory admissions. One was an admission related to a firearm offense. Uh, but I also wanna point out that in November, so this past month, we saw the highest ADP that we've seen since pre-pandemic um, of on average 17 young people in juvenile hall each day. Then moving on to slide 12, average length of stay. I wanna focus specifically on the second slide. So average length, or not second slide, second graph, average length of stay in days for youth in custody at the end of the month. You'll see that both the mean and the median length of stay for youth in custody on the last day of month 
was very high on October 31st, 2021, 117 days as the median, 151 days as the mean length of stay. Um, on the last day of the month, there was only one young person um, in custody who had been there less than 30 days, which reflects you know, the population that we're seeing in juvenile hall where there's a high percentage of young people going through the court process, um, juvenile hall commitment, and just seriousness of charges. The last thing I want to highlight related to referrals. So in October, we had 26 um, referrals to probation, pretty consistent with what we've seen over the past few months. But what we also saw was a high number of um, clerk referrals, 11 referrals in the month of October, the highest that we've seen since before the start of the pandemic. And because it is very late and there is only so much our brains can handle, I will move specifically to questions and take any questions on either the slides I covered or any slides that I didn't cover that anyone wants to ask about. Thank you, uh, Ms. Cuevas. Um, the only question I had is obviously the ADP has gone up. Uh, it sounds like some of the youth that are in the hall currently are there on some of the more serious charges. And I know specifically that obviously uh, crime has been in the news lately, and as a result, I saw that there had been some admissions to the um, JJC from um, some of those uh, arrests, perhaps by SFPD that were more high profile. Is is there an obvious correlation with some of the stuff that has been happening uh, across the city um, and some of those numbers going up, or is it obviously too early to tell? I would say that it's too early to tell. Um, I don't know, Chief Miller, if you want to weigh in on that, I don't know if we can make a one-to-one -one comparison. Um, I also wanna just point out that as it relates to ADP um, and admissions, we are seeing an upwards trend, but overall in 2021, it's been an ADP of 14 youth. Um, and we did see the lowest number of admissions in October. So it's kind of too soon to tell whether it's an anomaly or if it's going to continue being an upwards trend. Right, I, I would agree with Selena. And the only thing I would just reemphasize is what she already noted, right? Which is that we have a number of young people in custody going through very long court processes. Um, and then some of which may wind up staying with us for a long time, potentially um, under the new state laws. Um, but that what we've seen is, you know, just longer lengths of stay and, and, and notably not because of lack of placement options, but because the courts making different decisions, the courts going through long processes or the courts deciding not to let kids out. So we're, we're seeing these, these increases in how long our kids are with us very much. I would say tied to the severity of the offenses. I want to note there's a good point to that, right? I think it shows that we're not detaining and holding young people on minor things. I think that's something we all really care about. Um, but it does raise the question for all of us of what does it look like for kids who come in under the most serious circumstances? And to Selena's point, we have four young people here on homicide charges 
another young person in county jail right now, but facing a juvenile homicide charge as well. Great, thank you. Yeah, no, I was, I saw, uh, you know, I was uh, like many uh, individuals, I'm sure I've been following a lot of the news closely and was saddened to see um, the ages of some of the youth that were uh, brought over to, to YGC and then also just um, some of the offenses and, and was, um, you know, just, uh, saddened by it. It's just, it's very unfortunate. Um, obviously, um, there uh, is a lot of uh, angst right now uh, across the city because of everything that's been happening. But I think that ultimately that was the one thing that really jumped out to me. Um, and I immediately thought of uh, this chart right here uh, that you've presented and um, was curious if there was just correlations with it. And if so, if there was already an action plan perhaps between the DA, your office, SFPD, and so forth to figure out um, what can be done. Um, I know in many cases, I think, remember reading that many of the youth were perhaps out of county also. Um, so I don't know um, if there has been discussion about that yet, but um, like I said, I was just saddened by it when I saw it and obviously concerned uh, that, um, you know, the youth that are coming in were, were quite young and all obviously the severity of the charges. Right, and I do want to know, I think I would note a couple of things to your point about kind of what are people doing about it. So one thing that's happening that might behoove the commission to hear about in an upcoming meeting is the district 10 uh, safety plan, um, which really does focus on making sure that young people from district 10 um, don't fall through the cracks that if uh, services are connected to aren't working out that they're connected to other services. Um, uh, young community developers, I think, could actually come and talk about that because they're the lead agency on that plan. And then the other thing that it might be of interest for the commission to hear about is the work that the police department is doing with David Muhammad around kind of credible messengers and mentors for young adults and youth who are being identified as really high risk for gun activity. So that made that really does kind of tie back to what you're saying, President Ariano, and you might want to have a presentation on that in the coming months. And that includes um, working with uh, with a handful of probation youth right now, having that kind of tie into credible messengers through that program that David Muhammad is creating with the police department. Uh, That'd be make, great. Yeah. I just want to make a quick comment. Uh, thank you for the presentation again. And it appears that um, the population of African America is still high as usual. But from what we've been hearing from the media, it appears that some of these uh, African American, they are not, some of them are coming from out of county, you know, like somewhere, not just San Francisco only. Do you have the percentage of that? For specific to in juvenile hall i don't have that off the top of my head i can look into it but i do know that a high percentage of our probation caseload is out of county youth um 33 for boys and i think 50 percent for girls in 2020 mm -hmm. um, but for juvenile hall specifically i don't know but i can look that up yeah because i know like the chief said you, you know ycd they're doing their very best to make sure, you know, to contain this uh, problem that we have in here. But all we'll be hearing is, oh, there's some people are coming from out of, out of, out of town, out of town, out of town. So I just want to know, 
what percentage is that? You know, not just all everybody's coming from Bayview or something like that. Yeah, no, they're not. Mm -hmm. If you can share that with us next time, you know, just to separate it and see, you know, how many are really coming from out of county. Right. Well, and I would also know, Commissioner, that at least, you know, in some cases for young people who are with us for a really long time, we've seen families be live in the county, live out of the county, live in the county. Yeah, people yeah. are even moving around, obviously. Right. But right. we can definitely do that for future meetings. Thank you much. Other questions or comments for the chief or Ms. Cuevas about the monthly data report? I thought there was some, you know, there's some horrible news, but there was some really good directions in this report. So, you know, in terms of the number of kids in out of home placement, it seems like it's going down the number of caseloads going down. Um, and the number of people referred to CARC is going up. And so I just want to say, I'm going to ask every month now, <laughs> how many how many, what the referrals to CARC are looking like since we have a desire to increase that. And so I think that's a piece of data we should look at really closely on a month by month basis. Commissioner, that is why Selena mentioned it, just for you. <laughs> Thank you. You are welcome. Are there any more questions about data or should we continue at this late hour? Should I go ahead? I will need to share my screen for just the remaining okay. couple of slides. Um, do I? Uh, do I? I'm trying to pass it to you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, why isn't it scrolling? Um, does someone else have the capacity to pass the share screen little icon? I'm sorry, who am I passing it to? Uh, to me, Katie Miller. Thanks so much. Thank you. Awesome, thank you. Let's see. Is this working? Can you see my PowerPoint? We cannot. Oh, hold on. Hold on. Let me try again. I don't know why it's not working. Hold on a second, everybody. I'm so sorry. I'm clicking on share. And it's not sharing. Is, can you see it now? Yes. Excellent. Okay. So super quick. Um, so just a few things for this week, this month, my kind of standard report outs. Um, just in terms of staffing changes in the department, we've had a few people come in, a few people go out. This is over the last two months, because as a reminder, we didn't meet in November. So we had an as-needed counselor in the hall leave. And we had an as needed counselor in the hall come in. As a reminder, they're filling in on shifts when we need that. 
Um, they were both women, which is important to us because we are very low on the number of female counselors and want to make sure as much as possible that for the girls in the hall, the young women in the hall, that they have female staff around them. We had um, an accountant for depart and we brought in in their wake an accountant three to try to keep our finance team going. Um, we brought in a stationary engineer to fill an open position there, obviously doing the engineering work on the facility. And then we brought in a uh, secretary in our probation services division. This person does part of their time at the front desk, which I think folks would notice we haven't actually had anybody staffing the front desk for a very long time. Um, and then splits the remainder of her time between two of the probation uh, units. So we have her kind of doing, filling all the gaps. Um, moving on to uh, out of home placement, I want to notify you all. Um, this is something we also had wanted to bring up at the November meeting of a data breach that Seneca Family Services has experienced. This information is also on our website. It's been on our website for over a month. Um, that the city learned that in August, uh, Seneca was subject to a data breach, which impacted uh, records of patients and clients from several counties in the state, including San Francisco, and included uh, clients from DPH, HSA, and probation. Seneca has notified all, um, in, all clients impacted by the breach, and they've posted information on their website, as have we. You can see it on our website. They're also offering credit monitoring and identity protection to anybody who was impacted, um, and they've addressed the kind of cybersecurity concerns that came up through that process. So I wanted to share that information, make sure we're sharing it with all of you. And like I said, it's also on our website and all impacted uh, clients have been notified. Also wanted to give a quick update on out-of-home placement. As you know, we continue to work with Alternative Family Services to implement the four emergency beds and three long-term beds in for resource families. Um, I bring this to you because, uh, um, not for an update about those beds, but because they are actively working on a resource family recruitment campaign. So if folks, uh, we are working with them on that. If folks have ideas, if you know people, who uh, want to um, be considered for resource families, please have them reach out to Rhonda Williams in our department and her email is here on this slide. She approves all resource families that our department works with and she's wonderful and amazing. And I encourage you to contact her if you are interested or know anybody who might be interested in becoming a resource family for probation youth. Um, and then I wanted to just give you a quick update. This is my last slide tonight on DJJ closure, that process. So as you all know, you've heard me say many times, we have our own local subcommittee that is charged by state law with coming up with San Francisco's plan um, for what we're gonna do uh, without having DJJ as an option for those kind of highest level cases. Um, we have reached kind of a critical point in that process. I have to give immense gratitude to all the members of that subcommittee who have been meeting weekly for the last number of weeks on our plan, which is due to the state by January. I also want to give a huge shout out to Emily Fox, whose full-time job has turned into actually writing this enormous plan and supporting that whole process. And to Maria for stepping in and facilitating the last two meetings when I was away, which were uh, difficult and important conversations. At this point, our realignment subcommittee has made these following decisions. They've decided that for now, we're gonna use Juvenile Hall as San Francisco's 
secure youth treatment facilities. So as a reminder, we need to identify where, what our county's response will be for any young people who the judges commit to a secure commitment, kind of a replacement of DJJ. So for now, we will be using juvenile hall. We had already made that decision. We've just extended the decision to use it until we see what the board of supervisors decides to do with the closed juvenile hall work group plan. We are also, our group voted to recommend to the board of supervisors that we co-locate whatever replaces juvenile hall and this resource for secure commitments locally in San Francisco. If those be one uh, campus or facility, um, and that uh, whatever comes next for our young people be healing centered, family centered, community connected and culturally responsive. So that's the vote that the group took about kind of where we will house kids securely with the closure of DJJ. Um, the group also got to make some decisions about what to do with the funding that comes to San Francisco as a result of DJJ closing down and the county assuming those responsibilities. And we picked two general buckets of investment to make. With the first year funding that we're getting from the state, that's about just over $800,000. One thing that the group decided to do is to um, make some investments that will work with kids uh, across the continuum in probation. So this, these things will be services for kids, whether they are on probation and community, in at-home placement, or in secure custody. And we're looking at funding some credible messenger life coaches, whole family support, flexible funding um, and including direct funding to young people and their families. We also want to invest in some collective training for all stakeholders in the system to work with this specific population of young people and especially young adults because that's new in some ways for the juvenile system. The group also voted to invest some of those funds specifically for the young people who may have those commitments in secure custody. Um, rather than creating a whole bunch of programming in the hall right now for what could be a very small number of people, of young people who find themselves with these kind of long-term secure commitments, we decided to really treat it as flexible funding to create personal programs for any young person that finds themselves in that situation to make sure that we're getting them education, workforce, behavioral health and wellness, parenting, substance abuse and reentry services, depending on their unique needs. So we're working now on figuring out how that will look. Obviously, we'll be leveraging existing programs we have, but we know there may be cases where we need to put money behind supporting young people for their particular needs while they're in custody. So we, um, it comes back to probation now to kind of figure out and suggest back to that subcommittee what that spending will actually look like to achieve the goals that they voted on. This Friday morning, I will be making a presentation about this. Um, to the Board of Supervisors, Youth, Young Adults, and Family Committee. The board is not required by law to approve San Francisco's DJJ closure plan, but we do want to bring it to the board, um, both because we think it's important for people to know, but also as they're considering the closed juvenile hall work group report, we want them to hold all of these obligations that, that we all have right now kind of in their heads. So I'll be doing a very brief presentation this Friday morning um, and Elise Castro from the school district will be joining me. We'll be presenting together. Um, next Tuesday afternoon, our, the same realignment subcommittee will be voting on the actual final version of the plan that we need to submit to the state by January 1st. And I just wanna reiterate, this is our plan for the coming time period. So as San Francisco makes decisions about closing juvenile hall, what comes next? We will be revising the plan um, to make sure that we are uh, 
kind of consistent with all the moving parts here in the city. But for now, young people who otherwise would have gone to the state will be having their programming in DJ uh, in the hall, and we will be bringing some of these investments online in the coming months. Uh, and that is the end of um, my slides. The other piece we wanted to kick you to super fast um, is we have made a commitment to do fiscal reports every few months for you. We have a very brief presentation on that. I will leave it to you, President Ariano, to tell us if you want us to just show you the one slide that kind of captures it all so you can see it. Um, and Cheryl's prepared to do that. Just so you see where we are in our spending, I think it is something you should know as we're coming up on budget season. It could take two minutes if you give it to her, especially since she's been with us this whole time. Uh, absolutely. I think we'd all love to hear that. Okay, great. Thank Can you. we move the presenting button to Cheryl Taylor, please? There you go. I have it now. So okay. Can you do the red light, green light slide, Cheryl, and just talk from there for a minute and give um, us a sense? Yeah. Um, so Cheryl Taylor, interim finance director. Um, first, um, let me click over. Of course, I'm having trouble clicking. There we go. Um, to remind you, our budget is about $49.8 million all funds this year. This is the breakout um, for all of our divisions. Um, here um and this is the red light green light slide chief miller was talking about um just want to give you an overall uh sense of the year and projection we're doing pretty well we anticipate remaining within budget for salaries um and non-salary spending um and also revenue collection is expected to come in as as budgeted um, our overtime, it, the only reason it's in red is because we have had a high degree of overtime spending, which is offset by um, overall savings in um, salaries and benefits. Overtime is a portion of salaries and benefits. Um, I can make my whole report available as part of the minutes. I'll give them to um, um, the commission secretary, but that concludes my report and happy to take any questions. Thank you, Cheryl. Sure. Wasn't our budget a lot lower than that? Uh, 49 million. My memory was, I, I, I can't check my notes now that it was like 44 million or. This budget includes prior year um, unspent um, balances. Right. So that's, so that total amount commissioner is not the budget that you approved. It includes a lot of prior year money that wasn't spent. Some of which. We don't keep, as you will recall, a lot of money we had in spent is going over to DCYF for them to use for purposes. So it, it draws on everything that's kind of tagged as juvenile probation in the city's finance system. It doesn't reflect the actual budget that we have to spend this year or that you've approved. Okay, because I remember very different number and at some point, or maybe just it's something you send out to us, sort of how we got from what that number I thought we approved like 40 something low 40s the budget is 43 to, million what the the original budget is 43 million yeah um the adjusted budget which includes prior year unspent balance is 6.8 million just as chief miller described so so commissioner brockin a good deal of that money is already committed to dcyf because they were able to use it last to put it toward not cutting their contracts. And some of it, as you know, went to AFS 
for that contract. Okay, be nice to sort of have that spelled out so we can at some point. Yeah. And I, I had a question about the uh, DJJ stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm so horrified that we're going to use the juvenile hall as our DJJ alternative. I think that it's just such an inappropriate setting for any human being. So how long are we committed to doing this? And I guess I missed a beat somewhere and didn't attend a bunch of meetings and could have bitched about it. But, you know, I'm like, I just don't understand because we have a lot of money. There are other counties also looking for progressive, you know, alternatives. I, I just don't understand how we didn't, you know, explore more widely, you know, uh, what else was possible and we're so passive in that. I mean, I feel like if if Santa Cruz says, no, you go meet with Santa Cruz and say, wait a minute, you know, let's negotiate about that. Or if Oakland or Alameda is trying to do something similar to us, you know, you organize with them and go to Sonoma and say, you might, you have a decent site, you're running a shitty program. And, you know, we want to run it, you know, we want to see a completely different kind of program. I, I just feel like it's a horrible alternative, and I, I, maybe this is for a future conversation. How long we're going to do this? But if if we're waiting to build a new hall, and I, it, it, that's ten years from now. So I'm like, this is terrible. When can we explore other options? Sure, and I'm happy to talk about it in more detail in a future meeting. But I will just say, as the broad answer that our only options are to use something secure we have within county limits, which we have one thing right now, which is the hall, or to contract with another county. Of the counties that are willing to take kids from outside of their county limits, the only ones available right now, period, the only counties willing to take kids from outside their counties are Sonoma, which we, our group unanimously decided for a number I'm of reasons. I present that presentation from no, Sonoma. No, but I, for yes. folks who weren't, for but, folks who weren't, okay. that the group did unanimously vote against Sonoma, largely because their demographics do in no way look like our demographics. It's almost all white and Latinx youth in their facility, no African-American youth. So our group unanimously decided not to pursue that at this time. The only other out of county options available in this time is uh, San Luis Obispo has made its site available, but only for younger youth. We don't commit anybody under 16 to secure youth treatment, so our kids aren't eligible. Fresno is coming online for sex offenders and only for the Central Valley. So we haven't seen yet um, counties wanting to open their doors to other youth. And I will note for the record that we did vote as part of our plan that as other programs come online, we do want to offer that choice to the young people facing secure commitment. So our group is not ruling out using other county options. They don't exist right now. And I also will note that when we've brought up the discussion here about whether we want to offer ourselves as another county as an option to other counties, we've had a lot of blowback. So I think every county is kind of going through that, right? Wanting to look elsewhere, but not wanting to open its own doors. And I I do think it's an important reckoning we're all going to need to have. Like, if we think we're going to create something good, don't we want to make that available to other kids? And so I think it's an ongoing conversation, but right now we do not see the options across the state that would allow us 
to uh, make those kinds of decisions. Great. I just hope it's to be continued. It is to be continued. And I, you know, again, this is our plan for now because we need a plan for now. It is not our plan forever. Um, but we do want to make sure we're doing right by the kids we have right now who may be in secure commitment in the next few weeks in some cases. Commissioner Brodkin, do you have more questions or comments? Uh, if I could just sneak one in about the um, DJJ also. You mentioned, Chief, about uh, the recommendation to co-locate the secure facility with whatever facility is obviously approved by the board in the um, report. Is that something that is recommended in the report or what it exactly, I mean, maybe there are numerous recommendations, but what did the report recommend on that aspect? The report in no way addresses the closure of DJJ. And it's important to know that this state law happened after the closed juvenile hall process, uh, after the legislation was passed locally and after our process started and it was, they were never combined. They were handled separately. So the actual report doesn't address it. The DJJ subcommittee, what we chose to recommend to the board that they consider combining them, right? Uh, we didn't make the, we didn't take the step of like voting that they will be combined or anything like that because of the unique situation here in San Francisco of multiple bodies making these kinds of decisions right now. Um, so we're recommending it to the board. I've heard initial different kind of reactions from different members about whether they would want to do that or not. And I think um, for this group, what I would say is the reason that we came down on that as our decision is that we're really talking about very small numbers of kids who may wind up in that kind of long-term commitment. And that is very lonely. If you're the only kid or one of two kids, our ability to really create community and robust programming would be very hard. And as well as, as you all know, the cost of running two completely separate secure sites, right? So I think both from a human and a fiscal perspective, the group came down on the side of thinking that we should co-locate. And I also want to remind us, you all saw the length of stay for our kids who are still going through their court process, right? So we have kids with us for a very long time on those most serious cases who then would start like a commitment we would love to offer them those robust services through their entire time and not separate them into this space in the city for this group and this space for that group because they're the same kids understood um thank you for that clarification um and interesting um that that was not part of the um or i guess maybe not that it wasn't part of it but perhaps that the timelines didn't align um, would be a fair characterization, um, but I appreciate the context. Mr. Moses. So, one quick question for the chief. Any update about the um, claim money from, um, from our youth? Is that money finally expended and not to be zero or still? For the unclaimed funds? Yes. You know, I don't have an update for you on that tonight, Commissioner, but we will bring it to the next meeting if that's all right with you. I think that would be fine. We just want to make sure it's okay. not go back to the drain. We can find okay. a way of spending it, give it to grandparents who care. Will do. Okay. Commissioner Spangola or Shorter? 
Uh, no questions. Thank you for the presentations. Is there any other aspect of the chief's report, uh, chief, that we have missed, or is that all of it? One and done. All right. Um, with that, I appreciate the presentation by Ms. Cuevas as well um, as uh, Ms. Taylor, and um, we'll go ahead and before we obviously take public comment, move to um, a programs committee meeting update by Commissioner Brodkin uh, for the November 16th, uh, 2021 meeting. We did not meet, so there's no report. All right. Um, so then with that, I'll go ahead and open up for public comment. This time, please press star three if you'd like to speak about item eight, the chief's report, um, and we'll open up the line now. And there is currently no public comment. Thank you. Uh, we'll close item eight. Uh, thank you uh, to the department for uh, the monthly report and the presentations. Uh, we greatly appreciate the time and effort put into those. Um, now we'll go ahead and um, move to item nine. This is a discussion and uh, potential action item. This is uh, regarding the Juvenile Probation Commission retreat. Uh, perhaps Commissioner Brodkin, uh, is there thoughts on this item? Uh, I know that essentially uh, to refresh the public um, who may not remember, we uh, agreed that it made sense to obviously keep a ongoing agenda item uh, on our agenda for the retreat so that anything that we decide related to the retreat is done with transparency in mind uh, so the public can obviously uh, provide input and weigh in. So um, with that, I'll just hand it over to Commissioner Brodkin for thoughts on the retreat. Yeah, if it would be okay just to combine nine and 10, uh, I think that you're allowed to do that and I'll just say it in a sentence. So uh, I was gonna move that we do the retreat in March because I feel like that gives us enough time to plan it as well as enough time to have some idea what the Board of Supervisors is doing. And that the agenda, which I think it, it just in general way, but we would flesh it out in a, a an ad hoc subcommittee would be, what are the goals of the department? How can the commission through its committee structure and agenda sort of function more as effectively as possible? And what's our role vis-a-vis -vis the uh, closed juvenile hall report? All those things are totally related. You can't really talk about one without the other. So that's my big picture proposal and, you know, interested to know if that makes sense to people. I think that all makes sense. Um, I don't know if we still have our uh, deputy city attorney with us, but I was going to ask uh, about if there's been any clarification on us being able to meet. I believe it was after January 1, there was still some restriction on that. Obviously, now we're dealing with the Omicron variant, um, which is tiring, <laughs> I'm sure, for all of us. But um, has there been any clarity, um, Ms. Clark, about uh, where we stand on meeting in person. Um, my, I am told there'll be some guidance coming next week. Um, I, I, 
I don't think January is going to happen. Um, I mean, that just based on some of the discussion, um, but, but the guidance is going to come next week from the mayor's office. Um, <clears throat> that's all I know for sure. Understood. Okay. So my proposal I, would be pending the guidance, you know, that we get. Right. Obviously, um, that makes the most sense. So, um, I, I think that makes total sense. Uh, I don't know if other commissioners have thoughts. Um, and I think obviously pending approval, uh, of the protocols to meet, um, I mean, a commissioner, would you be open if, for instance, we were not able to meet in person to somehow doing this remotely? Um, or is that, I mean, obviously the logistics of that are daunting, I'm sure, but would you be willing to do something like that in lieu if we had to? Let's, let's see what happens though, because I think everybody's so sick of Zoom and so sick of this, and it's so hard to have any kind of sort of connection to people on, on this. So I would tend to not want to do it, but it's up to the commission. You know, I, I'm hopeful that by March, We'll be able to meet in person. If they say April, then we would postpone it to April. <laughs> if they say never, then of course we would do it. You know. Sure, sure. Yeah. And, and and obviously maybe I don't know. And a, a third wild card and variable would be perhaps there could be a, a meeting outside or something. Uh, if that's something that could be done as well, um, which is obviously. Meeting in winter um, outside may not be feasible for many, but again, uh, something else to consider. Uh, we don't know where the world will be in a few months, but good idea. April April is looking good. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, if, are there any other comments uh, or questions about um, the retreat and any of the ideas that Commissioner Brodkin has proposed for the retreat? Purpose of the retreat, we're going to have a facilitator, or, or how is that going to work out? Is there any details on that? Or what are we trying to accomplish? That's a good question. Um, when we did our previous retreat many years ago, I want to say, Commissioner Moses, were you part of that as well? I believe you. No, I, I was a new kid on the block. Oh, see, I always forget which one of us is the uh, senior statesman of the commission. Um, I feel but, like we did have a facilitator of some sort. It might have just been someone from the department. Um, I think I you had to... somebody. I That's my memory, yeah. too, President. <clears throat> right, yeah. And I want to uh, say it was somebody, I don't know if they were from the city or not, but I want to say it was somebody who, that's the kind of thing they did. Um <clears throat> Like they were a professional in running these things. And right. I hope I'm not making up that memory, but that was my memory. That's my that memory. Was kind of, yeah, that was similar to what I recalled as well. Um, perhaps, uh, Ms. Silveray, uh, you can dig through uh, to many years ago. I think it was probably around 2014, 2015, and see what we did at that retreat. Um, if there was a facilitator of some sort, I want to say it was either someone at the department or affiliated with the department that helped us. Um, for our like all day retreat, but it'd be great to see who that was. Well, I, I or would, how we would do it in general, I guess. Yeah, I would say, regardless of what happened in the past, it's a good idea. Um, yeah. And so that if we can find a way to have somebody who is skilled and, you know, part of the city, great. If, you know, not third sector, but um, if we pay some. But he helps us. I'm sure I'd be budget for it. Yeah, sure. 
Based on my experience, you know, with my commission, we got a professional who came and do the facilitator for us. And in, in response to, to Toye's question, I mean, it's so we have time to do things that we don't have time to do at a meeting, you know, where we really have, let's, okay, what are the goals of the department in the coming year? And I mean, I think I was appointed or um, so to have an ad hoc committee would love to hear how we could drill down on those in an efficient way with a good facilitator so that in what part what role the leadership of the department would play and what role we would play in those discussions. And I would want to rely a lot on our leadership um, to sort of make proposals to us, but that we could discuss in a subcommittee. We don't have to spend endless hours doing it, but I think if we had a facilitator and one or two subcommittee meetings, we could have, you know, work it out. Sounds good. Oh, and I see, I think Ms. Silveray just messaged me that it was Jeff Morey who did that. Ms. Silveray, do you recall, is he, was he with the department? I don't think Jeff wants to do it anymore. I think he's still with us. Um, uh, but uh, I, just saw, I just saw him yesterday too. <laughs> Interesting. I would think, but I, I think we can find someone and we can find someone of Jeff's caliber um, who might be up for that. That won't be a problem. Well, uh, I think we are all in agreement on this. Um, so we'll obviously wait to hear uh, where we stand with uh, meeting in person from our city attorney and then um, just plan on March uh, and move forward. And obviously this will be a recurring agenda item so we can continue to hammer out anything um, that we need to in advance of the meeting. And if people can let Joe know if you wanna be on this committee um, and then you can let me know who is interested I would see maybe two meetings. <laughs> um, uh, another meeting. <laughs> Are there any questions or comments about uh, this item, uh, items nine? Uh, I, I don't know, uh, uh, Deputy City Attorney Clark, do we have to hear item nine and 10 separately or can we combine them as um, uh, Commissioner Brodkin uh, recommended? So the one was on, should you have it? And the other one's on what would the agenda be? Correct. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's probably not a big deal to discuss them together. Okay, so with we that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, and you basically did, so. Right, right, okay. So with that, um, we'll just now, uh, since we did take items nine and 10 uh, together, is there any public comment on items nine and 10, the Juvenile Probation Commission retreat uh, to take place uh, hopefully in uh, Q1 2022 uh, and the retreat agenda items as discussed tonight? Please raise your hand by pressing star three to speak during public comment. There is currently no public comment. Thank you. So we'll close items uh, 9 and 10. Move to item 11, uh, future agenda items. I think we've had several tonight. Um, specifically, I'll note that we are going to hear uh, or we'll, we'll formulate one around contracts 
um, that we will uh, take up in January. Um, go to, going back to the conversation about third sector. So that will be something that we address just the commission's role with contracts, how we want to have that look. Uh, do we want a fiscal component or uh, obviously a, a level to discuss around that? So um, that will be discussed. I know that we have also discussed the um, report by uh, or, or executive summary by James Bell um, to be in January. Um, and I think I recall just off the top of my head of finance uh, uh, update from the department, but perhaps that was more of a finance committee. Um, are, are there any others that I've missed? Uh, I'll just put it out to the commissioners or to the department or Ms. Silveray. We wouldn't be doing a finance report again since we just did it. So it'll be the finance committee that'll be having it. Correct. Didn't you want to do a deep dive on girls? That's what the, yeah, that's right, that's right. We do want to, um, I think let's look at the next two meetings and see, because I think you may, you're going to have to do budget. Aren't you the next meeting or is that in February? That's February. I think, yeah, I forget. It is in February that much. I do recall. Any other future agenda items that commissioners would like to propose at this time? Hearing any uh, announcements, um, any announcements that commissioners would like to make at this time or that we have? I guess the only one I would uh, bring up uh, perhaps for Ms. Silver Ray is just because we're coming upon the end of the year, I know that usually December 31st is usually a deadline for things like ethics training or sunshine training and so forth. Is as far as we know, is the commission in compliance with all of that so that we can go ahead and put that to rest without having to worry about non compliance? Yes, they are. Actually, Form 700 is usually due April 1st. Right, right. Yeah, I just I couldn't recall if the uh, sunshine or ethics or harassment training, um, I thought it had a December 31st deadline. So I just want to make sure that we were all in compliance with that. Well, I know sunshine, if, if you do not complete it by April 1st, then you're given till the end of the year. But I think we're all in compliance. The commission is in compliance. Understood. And then I know that we have Four commissioners, I believe, that uh, have terms expiring January 15th. I believe it's Commissioner Spingola, Moses, uh, Shorter, and myself. So um, I guess in terms of uh, how that plays out, I believe we have to eventually get reappointed uh, if we so are inclined by the mayor. So I don't know if, um, if that's something that should be addressed by commissioners to the mayor's office. I would just um, recommend that those conversations be had um, since um, after January 15th, uh, I believe the terms do expire. So um, that's one announcement as well. Um, just because... one minute. Did you see Andrew Shorter's time bill? I thought she just came in. Uh, I think it's because of the, uh, uh, I think it's filling She's out someone else's term. term. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I see. exactly. I got it. It's more, yeah, it's more yeah. the housekeeping than anything um, that needs to be done. But uh, just wanted to put that out there because um, I know every year um, we forget that the terms expire not when we were appointed, but on January 15th. So I um, wanted to let uh, folks know about that. And then lastly, uh, the last announcement I would make is 
Um, you will have to vote all of us on new president and vice president. I believe is it Ms. Silver at the February meeting. Is that right? Correct. So, um, obviously, I feel like I've uh, served uh, two eight year terms <laughs> at this point. So I would just encourage anyone who would like to serve in the leadership uh, of the commission to start uh, securing the votes and talking to the other rest of the commissioners. Um, I will not be uh, serving again as president and I would urge uh, other members of the commission who want to serve in president or vice president roles to um, make that known. So we know uh, who to nominate in February um, and we can continue moving forward with the work, uh, the great work of the commission. So thank you uh, for those announcements. Is there any public comment? On item 11. I don't, I don't. <laughs> President, I just wanted to add that you have 30, 30 day extension after July 15th to either get reappointed or um, term out. You mean January 15th? Yes, January 15th, correct. And then how does it work exactly? Do we have to officially be reappointed um, before that 30 days expires or do we continue serving uh, until there's a nomination made? How exactly does it work? Does it lapse and then we have to I, I, the commission? I will defer to um, Gianna. I was just trying to look at look it up. I'm not sure. I think you stay until I'm not sure. I shouldn't talk off the top of my head. Um, I'll check. That's my experience with other commissions is that people stay until a replacement is appointed. That, whether that's legal, Jana can tell us. That's sort of standard procedure. Yeah, and it's it's different for different commissions. Some of them have what they call like there are no holdovers and some of them have them. And I, I just can't remember right now what the rule is for you guys. Um, so, and I was just trying to look it up real quickly and I'm just tired and I can't find it quickly. So, and I'm afraid to say the wrong thing. So. Sure. Well, there you have it. We're all tired and hungry and can't see straight. And I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> CRA can't remember anything. Yeah, so <laughs> goodbye. Yeah. Ms. Clark, you, you can get back to us, um, you know, via the um, secretary and let us know exactly what you uh, find out. But uh, I just wanted to flag that because it is for commissioners um, and it is next month. So um, yeah, I wanted to make that known um, just for continuity. Of the commission. Right. <laughs> oh. Is there a uh, public comment on? Item 11. There is no public comment. Thank you. Uh, we'll go to adjournment. We are adjourned. The time is 9.52 p.m. Thank you so much for everyone's patience and time.